If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. had to have the internet of bodies activated in some way to, in order for 5G to, to, to do what it needs to do. And they had a couple of different options. Like you could get a chip in your hand um, and there was people already doing it and um, all your banking stuff was, was there. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Cal Washington a little bit later. Uh, the intro might throw you off a little bit. This was originally going to be a Grimerica Outlawed show, uh, but didn't quite uh, make it uh, as long as it needed to be. So we cut her short at an hour and decided we'd, we'd just do it as a regular show. It's not like it's crazy controversial or anything like that. It's mostly just about how to step outside of the system and not pay tax. So uh, it's a fun chat with Cal a little bit later. Uh, and we got everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham Blue Balls Dunlop, with his new blue mic that nobody gets to see now. I wish should should got you the blue ball mic pop cover uh, when you're still live streaming. Yeah, there you go. You uh, believe in blue balls and wind chill now? Uh, no, I, I'm not fully. Uh, I'm not fully in on either of those. You've come a long way, though. Yeah. Not in, not into it. I'm pretty sure I just seen you say in the chats the other day that you do believe in wind chill. Of course, the wind when the wind it's just subjective. You can't measure wind chill like properly. I go out if I'm if I just did my Wim Hof breathing, it wouldn't be like minus an extra minus fifteen for me maybe. But for somebody that just gone out and they're not prepared, then maybe you know it's like minus twenty. So you don't think there's like a a scientific way to calculate wind chill in one strict place at one specific time, but wind is inherently all over the place. <laughs> so, but there is a formula. It's uh, thirteen point one two times zero point six two one five t minus eleven three seven v to the o sixteen. So I don't know what the fuck that means, but it doesn't seem subjective. I guess it's subjective if it's a gust or not. Wind is never just static. It's not a static thing. So your, pro- so your problem is more with the forecast of the wind chill than the... Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So maybe they're just taking... I know you can sit there with a fucking blow dryer and measure how hot it is on something. Like, that would be like a wind chill factor or a wind heat factor. I love you know, bringing I back these old measure, arguments. I know you, you know can what? measure all these things, but... But you don't believe any of you. Have you thrown out? Have you thrown out the wind chill calculation institution with every other institution? You're done with it all. I don't believe the weather. I don't believe the weatherman anymore. They're terrible. They don't know. They're pretty bad here. They want to give us carbon taxes and taxes. Actually, they've been better. I find they've been better than ever lately. 
I find myself actually trusting the weather two or three days out. Oh, good. But uh, one thing I do find that I've predicted now is if they say it's going to warm up to a certain temperature, uh-huh. you can usually like double it. They're always super conservative on those shoes. Right. And here's the other problem. Like I said it. the other day, it said high of plus four or something like that. I said, it'll be 10. You watch. It'll be 10. Yeah. What was it? It was, it was 10 for like Eight. three yeah. days straight. So that is weird, right? Why? And then the other part it's is because not only no, it's okay to be low on a hot day, but you can't. But but when it gets hot, they're going to start doing heat warnings and cold oh, warnings. Yeah. They're very. It's all fear mongering now. You go to your thing, and half the time there's a warning on there that the weather is extreme, and it's well. Bullshit. I mean, people are weak. You got to remember that that we, it's we come from it's a hardier. It's all part of. We just come from a hardier stock. It's all part of warming us up to the to the and to the inevitable carbon tax for the climate change. It's coming and the inevitable. In because have you not fucking looked at your fucking bills? You're paying carbon tax, buddy. You've been paying it for a while, for like thirteen. Yeah, four, this yeah, is month no, thirteen. Yeah, I know. But this, I'm talking more of on a global, not just Canada, who's already succumbed to the farce. I'm talking about like everybody. I don't think succumbed is a word, but. Sakama. Actually, you know what? The the states do like weird throw ED on words that I don't agree with all the time. <laughs> like what? Well, Supposed like it? instead of lapped, they'd say leaped. leaped. Or really? instead of crept, they'd say creeped. Crept really? does not exist in US English. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Oh yeah. At first you're like this guy. And then you realize that it's it's clearly a thing. I remember listening to it in Dune for the first time. It was a and I was like, how can this guy, a fucking a world-renowned author, not understand that he should have put left there? <laughs> but clearly it's because I'm an idiot. And, I love uh, how you went to the trouble to look that up, too. Look what up? I don't, know if, that, if was... I don't know if that's an actual thing. Oh. Should I, should I look? I, was, I only looked up the wind chill. I Here. thought you meant you looked up leaped and creeped. Well, no, but now it's just that I've just heard like hundreds of different authors based in the oh. U.S. do the same thing for them all oh, to make okay. that okay, same now mistake. You understand. Oh, I see. Okay. But uh, uh, is leapt British? Both leaped and leapt are the past form of the verb to leap. The difference between them is purely what kind of English you want to learn. British English, B-R-E, or American English. AME. So that's it. We use we use uh, British English. Actually, we use a weird hybrid now because they don't teach my kids Z anymore. Yeah, I learned Z. What did you learn? You're older. You, uh, I'm a, no, I think Z might have been a Z might have been a small Zed, bump yeah. because I think my mom learned Z. No, we learned Z, yeah. And then when I was in school, it was Z. And it was a big thing. And now they're teaching my kids Z again. So it was just like this little thing we tried to do to be a little different, I guess. Yeah. But I digress. Anyway, what were we talking about before we spun out? Um, I don't know. Nothing. We just spun right out, right right off the bat. 
Yeah. So then this is a good chat with Cal. He it's got a, it's real interesting how he's kind of gotten away. Uh, he's done a lot of these court appearances. He's sort of tried a bunch of different things. And basically it's like kind of maritime law or as a, I guess as commerce, I think it is like, it's, it's still hard for me to wrap my head around, but when you hear him talk about the history of, of maritime law, it makes sense of how it sort of came about and that, you know, the queen really, you know, swore to the King James Bible. It's it's kind of fascinating. And then he gets into some esoteric parts towards the end about the watchers and um, kind of gets a little more spiritual as well, which kind of shocked me when I first started learning about him. But he's from uh, empowermovement.com. He's the uh, founder and, and uh, CEO of that. And they're talking about, you know, how can I start using notice of liability and uh, other causes like that. Yeah, kind of interesting. Kind of one of these, like, we talked about how to exit the system a little bit. You know? how, do, how far do you have to go? And it's, it's tough, man. It's not just, it's not easy, you know. No, and then it's like once you get out, what do you do? And I mean, honestly, if you don't have a sweet ass ranch or a boat or an island, I mean, it's gonna be tougher. It's not good, you know. Like, well, it's gonna be, saw, it's gonna be different than yeah, what you're exactly, used to. Exactly. I saw his uh, Red Pill Expo presentation. Interesting how this was prior to COVID, and he was talking about forced vaccinations. Well, everybody so, knew that was coming. Yeah. And then he talks about 5G a little bit and smart meters as well on uh on the empower reclaim your authority movement. So someone you have a just right to protect your health and home. I got to give a shout out to Kyle D, old Kyle Delisle over in Quebec. Lock the fuck down, curfewed out. Actually, he's going to be here in a couple of days. He's coming with us down to Arizona, magic on the mountain. We are going to be partying down in Arizona in three weeks. Owen Hunt, Joe Root, Brandon Powell, learning some crazy stuff, sacrificing goats. Probably the closest to a cult uh, thing we've done yet, I guess, but it's not a cult thing. It's a magic thing. Uh, anyway, Kyle Delisle has been talking about how he's nearly positive that the Canadian government has been tracking uh, cell phones, that the cell phone companies have been giving up the data. Because uh, some people knew where somebody he knows was without her actually mentioning exactly. And it came wow. out. And then this just came out. The Public Health Agency of Canada confirmed media reports just before Christmas that it had secretly accessed location data for 33 million mobile devices to monitor the movement of Canadians during COVID-19. That number represents roughly 87% of the population who were spied on without any knowledge that the government was accessing their data. Public Health Agency of Canada officials were forced to admit this had occurred after a request for proposal was published with a call for interest in continuing a program of collecting data for up to five more years. Bum, 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 bum. So they were just tracking our phones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, what, you know, nothing's well, going to happen of it either. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, this, the, I don't know. Nothing ever happens. To can I people. sue, can I sue my cell phone provider? You can't, you can't sue anybody, dude. You can't even sue the, 
the provinces for what's going on. They I don't want to sue the government. Some... I want to sue my cell phone provider. Yeah. That's a private company. Yeah, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. You're so jaded. We I should get you a nice jade shirt. Jaded, yeah. I'm jaded. Jaded. I bet you used to sing that song in the shower in your Trans Am. What? <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Is that your dream car? When you I first mean, make your first million, you're gonna get a T a T top Trans Am with the with the dude, bird on the front. Dude, three of my friends that I hung out with. One guy had a Z28. That was, <laughs> it was awesome. And then the, the white one, Camaro. Was it the and, white one? My, no, he had a blue one. And my other buddy had a red Camaro, which was super gutless. It only had a 305 in it. And then my other friend had a fire, a white Firebird that we used to go partying all the time. And he had a 400 in his. Dude, yeah. I go back and forth on whether I want to get like a Tesla or something like that, or like an old like 67 Camaro. And just wop, wop, wop. Yeah. Fuck that Tesla looks so yeah, fast. So I wish I knew someone that just had one that would lend it to me for a couple of weeks. Because yeah. you can't rent them. That's the problem. You can't rent either of those things. And it's kind of like, but one day I'm going to buy myself a, a a little like summer car. But I don't know if I want an electric one or the, the like old 350 worst on gas you could possibly get. My buddy had a Datsun 210, one of those little, like two of my friends had one. So one guy had a gutless one all souped up and looked good. And the other guy had a real rough looking one that had a passing gear. And we'd, we'd go drive around the, the track of our high school, like doing like raceway type turns around the track. And we got busted by the gym teacher once. And then we had to go around and rake the whole, the whole track. We'd just I, break in through the yard and just rip around the, 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 the track. Oh, yeah, man. We used to get in so much trouble when I first got my license. Oh. I was just, we were talking about licenses the other day with the kids. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, you'll be driving with me for a couple years. Or you, yeah. I'll probably get them the uh, trucks, honestly. You know, the I cars. I got into seem, an accident four days after. Yeah, the cars seem dangerous. I mean, they're safer these days, the newer ones, I guess. But my, I feel way safer in my truck than I ever would in a little car. I remember fucking shutting off all my lights and driving my, my mom's going to be like, you motherfucker. Yeah. I remember shutting off all my lights in my like little red parents, little red sunfire. Cause we had this road. We used to always go down, go down to the bottom of to go. It was, it would like take you out on the lake and, uh, and so you'd have to go down there in the dark. So nobody could see the, yeah. Cause there's some houses on. a little further down yeah. and we weren't sure. Cause this is like an empty lot, but it would go right down to the lake and you park down there and, hang out and smoke weed or make out or whatever the fuck, you know, whatever you're up to. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we shut off the lights and we're creeping. It's like, you hear a little, ding, ding, ding. and all of a sudden, whoosh, this fucking chain comes, it's like whipping up the fucking hood and fucking into the glass. And it's like sparking over the fucking windshield and like, thook, 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 like, uh, and it's like stopped on the, on the roof of the car. Oh, really? It's, it stopped you? Well, no, it's because it was like hanging across the thing and it had like got hung up on the front of the car. And then once we put enough pr pressure on it, it like scraped up over the hood and onto the thing and I stopped. Oh, my God. So then a couple of people had to like get out and hold the chain up so we could like, but I think when my, my parents are like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been vandals. <laughs>
So this might be a coming out party for my mom. She's going to be like, son of a bitch. She probably suspected. She probably I had one where I pulled out of a driveway and my buddy was on the hood of the car at the time and I was joking around going forward and backward and forward and backward and I pulled out and the door the, the car door was open too and the door hit the hit the other car as I pulled out just smack and then just we peel away and then I got in trouble for my parents and oh it's brutal <laughs> got, we got toy busted oh it's just that is the worst feeling ever yeah yeah piss jugging it. Or actually crashing is worse. I've had a couple doozies. I like. I haven't had any bad crashes since the couple early ones that I had. Well, mine were early too, back when I was still drinking. But one time I wasn't drinking. I was just leaving Prem Steel. Fucking didn't see anything coming. Just blew the stop sign and smashed into buddy. Oh. Yeah. That was then like he was on Glenmore, bro. Doing a hundred. And then the other time I had that little car because my truck was smashed. <laughs> so I got a little car. A little like, I think it might have been like uh, like Sunfire-ish, but maybe a Cavalier or something like that. And I fucking rolled the thing on the dirt roads back there. I was oh. all wasted. <laughs> I like oh. woke up on the on the roof. It was upside down. My buddies came and got me. Fuck, I had the best friends, man. They came and got me and like flipped that thing over and like fucking drug it home. We lived out in the acreage then, so they just drug that car home, sparking. My buddies are like out in the field picking up all my papers and shit that had my name in it that had fucking gone blowing all over the field. Yeah, I remember that. That was a rough fucking month. I trashed two vehicles. Oh, God. All of a sudden, I went from being like on top of the world <laughs> until like I had a truck and a car. I was just like living the dream. And, uh, and then I was, like, looking for used cars. I bought a used, like, uh, a used, like, 1992 Grand Am for $400 a couple weeks later. Fucking bam. Really? Again? No, I didn't crash that one. Oh, oh no. okay. That was the last time I crashed, really, I think. I don't, I, don't, I don't drink anymore. I definitely don't drink and drive if I do drink. I would never drink and drive now. I mean, it's amazing that I didn't kill myself for somebody else. I don't mix. No. It's crazy that people weren't fucking crashing all the time. It's crazy to think that, like, pre-1970, that shit was just, okay, dude, not even pre-1970. I was with my buddy, shout out to Rizzo, I don't think he listens to the show, Darren. His name was Darren, too, but his last name starts with a P. I won't say it on the show. Anyway. We're talking like I was too young to drive at that time. And he was a little, he was, I think he was probably like 17 or 18, maybe 19. And I was like 16 beginners, but not full license yet. And we got pulled over. He's drunk. 12 hour suspension. That was back in the, and it's like back in my mom's day. I was like, you got that at most, at most you got a 12 hour suspension. If you were like, off the chains fucking wasted. So it's crazy people just weren't crashing all the time. Yeah. It must just because the cars were slower and shit. I don't know. What do you think? Were you allowed to drink and drive when you were young? Well, I got pulled over going from the bar to my girlfriend's house in uh, a big Chevy Caprice Classic and uh, on this back roads. And the cops pulled me over and I was fucking really hammered. And, and this is when I was young, like just out of, out of school. And, uh, they let me, they let me drive to my girlfriend's. They followed me to my girlfriend's place and gave me a 24 hour. 
They let me get back in and drive to my girlfriend's. <laughs> that would never happen today. <laughs> I mean, You'd you be tased. I mean, I got pulled over when I first moved to Calgary or shortly after. I got pulled over like out on the Susina Reserve by the Indian cops and they gave me a 12 hour. They didn't even really give me a 12 hour. They just like took my license and mailed it to me. So I got in the mail like two days later because they were just like, oh my God. But they didn't let me drive. They drove me home. It, yeah, it started to get pretty serious around then, I think, really. Um, <clears throat> around that time, I think it started it to even get pretty serious after that. It because even then we, seemed we, we serious did, there was then. A point, there was a point where we started to really make sure somebody was a designated driver. Like there was a point when we had, yeah. had to actually do that. Yeah, it was like but, probably like around 2000 or shortly after. Oh, shit. It was... It was probably before that when we should have done it. Yeah. But I was just a kid. Um, Because I was only turning 20 at 2000. Shit, it was later than that. Man, I drove through that fence. It was fucking, wasn't that long ago. Maybe 2005. I really settled down once I had kids. Started the podcast. Yeah. I was really like, I was only a couple years after being, being a bit of a maniac out. No, what? No, it was longer than that. Sorry. I calmed down in 2011, 2010. Yeah, that's closer th- closer to me than I thought. I calmed down in 2008. Well, Madison was born in 2011. Yeah. And if I, whatever I hadn't smartened up by then was, was smartened up pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, crazy I, mean, I, shouldn't when, say I, cal- I shouldn't say I calmed down. I crashed. Like, when our when parents were kids, bottom, you could just kid. drink and drive. It was fine. One for the road. I mean, where does that come yeah, from? Right here, one, yeah. have one for the road. Yeah. Man, can you imagine if we would have lived then? Dead. A hundred percent. I feel like if it was like that now, people would be crashing constantly. There's just too many people probably. That's what it is. It'd be interesting to know how much the population's gone up in that time. Yeah. I mean, where I grew up was the fucking sticks. It makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. But to think that people were rolling around the city, Calgary fucking wasted in 1960 seems crazy. But we were also, I mean, I remember a guy was, we were smoking um, a lot. We had a whole station wagon full of people, like in the back, three in the, like probably eight or nine people in the station wagon. And poor buddy who's straight laced is crazy. And we were a hot box in the station wagon and we get pulled over and he's not partaking in any of it because he does, it never does. And he, he was our designated driver during that event. And the cops, they didn't do anything. They just let us go. Thank God. But. Yeah, I got let off pretty stoned a few times. I remember last time when we went to the first fucking cack down in Seaside there, Kyle almost rear-ended a cop. He was just stoned up, speeding down the highway, almost rear-ends a fucking cop. The cop, like, pulls over, lets us fucking pass, and then pulls us over. I was like, you're going to jail, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You let us go, though. Oh, it's scary in the States because really the cops are a lot worse. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was like, here we are, go. Our cops are so nice in Canada, really. I was Man. like, you're going to jail, bro. Then he comes up to my window. I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> He's like, what are you boys doing? I'm like, cruising. <laughs> <laughs> he let us go, though. He followed us to the state line and then fucked. <sighs> We're only like eight miles out of Oregon. Washington State Trooper. So let us go. You just said cruising. I said cruising. I don't know. He caught me off guard. I wasn't expect. It wasn't supposed to be my fucking problem. I wasn't driving. I never almost hit a cop. 
right? I think that's the thing they do in the States, though, is go to the passenger door more often than not. Yeah. In Canada, they don't play that shit. They just go to the driver's side door. Anyway. Well, let's get back to reality here, which is our update from Quebec. So speaking of Quebec... Play a jingle. This is uh yeah, play a spam gram jingle, maybe and email me your uh stories, your uh <clears throat> from where you are around the world, what's happening with your COVID lockdowns, if you have any, if not, things are kind of crazy here in Canada. Spam Graham, Graham. Quebec is fucking is off the charts. Yeah, I mean, well, so, hey, guys, this is Dave from Quebec again. So I was listening to the Meredith Miller pre-show and felt that I had to give you my thoughts about what's happening here in the East. I feel Quebecers in general are very gullible and docile people. Unfortunately, I was convinced until a few days ago that we were doomed. I was actually looking at solutions to leave the country, leaving behind my relatives, selling my brand new house that I built myself and everything else. But things seem to shift a little bit. I started to share some stuff on Facebook again in a desperate attempt to wake a few sheeple up. I also started to engage conversation about COVID with coworkers and even clients. I'm I'm a Tyler by trade. And what I can tell is that people here are slowly waking up to this masquerade at last. The propaganda here is through the roof since it started. I've never seen such incoherences and flat-out lies in the media, and they always made it sound like everyone is on board with the government decisions, which is totally false. And another strategy to make people like us lay down, which worked on me, unfortunately. I feel that the media and the government are making more and more mistakes and are starting to shuffle. Now they are threatening to put a COVID tax on unvaxxed people, which would be around $2,000 per unvaxxed. I personally don't know a... Yeah, I don't know. I'll play that. I personally don't know a single soul that agrees with this madness. Mainstream media are now hallowing the doctors and scientists who speak against the narrative in what seems to be a way to protect them as the government's trust has fallen from 65 to 35% in the latest polls. So this is a little update on what's up here in Quebec. Thanks for all the good content, guys, and keep fighting the good fight. Well, thanks for the update, David from Quebec. It'll be interesting. Let me know if you end up moving or if you stay. I mean, I have some pretty black-pilled thoughts about even if people wake up. I don't think, I, I just, I don't, that's just going to be more for the, the powers that be to fight against, but I don't think this is going away. But Darren has different, different oh, thoughts. I think they'll pop eventually and just kill everybody. Just like they're doing in Kazakhstan. I mean, those motherfuckers in Kazakhstan, are, you, I mean, they're not letting anybody get away with that shit. If you were uh, any part of it, it looks like you were getting fucked up. I'm you good. mean like, what What do you mean? You mean the people pushing back? Mm, like the... Yeah, but we're looks, never going to... The, yeah, that's not going to happen in Canada. Especially not going to happen. How many countries will that happen in? I mean... I don't know. We'll see. Maybe a handful, like in Eastern Europe or something, where they've... Where they've been through this in the Depends recent past how far and they, they know they what go, the I fuck suppose. is happening. I don't know. Has Kazakhstan been through it? Probably, right? Uh, part of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was once a Russian. It was once part of the USSR, right? Yeah, we probably started that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I think Alberta, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff happening here too. I mean, there's been some controversy, like there's uh, this COVID infections and deaths soar after the first vaccine dose. This was by, uh, this was from Alex Berenson going right after Alberta's own data from the government. And he says, uh, they deleted that. They deleted those graphs. Yeah. Fucking Berenson. If Berenson could have just kept his mouth shut. Then we could have kept the graphs. Stunning figures from Canada show a huge spike in cases after vaccinations to the Centers for Disease Control and the media. This is the key. Did you go to the website? This is. The, <clears throat> oh, I've been there many times before. Not recently, though. But did you go to the archive one now that shows those graphs? I was showing like a thousand cases a day for the first 20 days after your first shot. 20 deaths a day. 60 hospitalizations a day in that, especially in that upper age group, 70 plus. Yeah. Well, the all counted as unvaccinated. Like that's, that was what I was just about to read to the Senate, to the CDC and the media. All these deaths are occurring in the unvaccinated, but you're right? preaching to the choir. What? You're just preaching to the choir. Yeah, but it's showing um, that there are some of these, like this, you know, this isn't just an outlier in Alberta. I mean, obviously, this kind of trend is probably happening all across Canada. So Alberta keeps it's, ruining it for everybody. We throw it well, we the did, comorbidities. I, we we, yeah. I, was, I was looking on the BC website for a friend of mine. For what like, the you fucking idiots. You're not supposed to show the comorbidities. You're not supposed to show that. Because we were the what only the province that did that. Unvaccinated. I, I couldn't find the definition of unvaccinated in the BC website. Do we give it here? We did at one point. I don't know if it's still there, but we did at one point. Yeah. And we gave comorbidities, which nobody else really did. I don't think. And ages and percentages and yeah. But I don't remember seeing time on when we were looking months and months and months ago. Time, time, like, well, yeah, because that's the whole point of Alex's thing. Oh no, this isn't some weird all... fucking sub chart someplace. Like, I would have never found it. I would have never fucking found it. Yeah, but I looked through all the charts before, and I never saw time. I don't think, right? Never saw. I never saw the the it, the way it's front loaded. To I mean, that's what that's what makes this so not a coincidence, right? If it was a coincidence, it'd be all spread out evenly over time, right? Not so front loaded after the jab. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Anyways, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It was in a weird spot though, that I would have never found it. Yeah. Who knows how long it's even been there? I I don't know. I mean, the thing is I, I have, I did scour, scour that uh, months and months ago and I never, I don't remember ever seeing charts with times, but anyways. How does Berenson beat us to our own province's data? I know. I know. We should have him on the show. You'd heard, how do you get a hold of him? I heard that Sub-stack Malone him? was, I heard Malone was, was calling him out because Berenson was calling Malone out. So oh, then, yeah, then we have like that. Yeah. There's like a, a fight between the, what do you call it again? The controlled opposition or people being accused of being controlled opposition. The two controlled opposition. Malone they're, a spy and he's calling out Alex. They're as calling each opposition. other fucking as controlled opposition. No, you're a spy. It's tough to say. One's from Pharma and one's from the New York fucking Times. I mean, they're probably both spies. Different. Fighting, fake fighting with each other. They're having a, 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 a spy fallout. Anyway, what else do you got? 
I got a little synchro from uh, Mer- and some more feedback from Meredith as well. That episode, I uh, heard really good feedback so far. So that's the last uh, Grimerica episode uh, with Meredith Miller. I got this from Marcus in Instagram. He's like, great interview, great person. What a great synchro too. I met this woman this Friday on a plant medicine retreat. I just dropped by saying hi in her 30s. She had just came out of a crazy abusive relationship, including rape and psychological abuse. I will send her this interview with links to Meredith. No coincidences. Love the new tunes on the end, he says. Playing it on repeat. What? Do you remember what tunes you put on the end of Meredith's show? No, but it would have been one of Felix's. <laughs> Probably in the show notes. Oh, definitely in the show notes. Yeah, but yeah. If you if you like the music or whatever we talk about is usually in the show notes. There's a bunch of ways to support us as well there. So I was gonna save. Uh, I saved uh, Project Operation, but decided not to do that one about China and Huawei called the. Uh, the giant spot, the giant shot. What was it called? The shot giant or whatever. I'm going to save that for when we talk about China. Um, China. I had another one, but I don't think we need to talk about it now, but it was, uh, I had one prepared, but I have a quote as well from somebody. A quote from somebody. Mm-hmm. What do we got here? <laughs> The profound quote of the week Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week Can you guess the human who spoke it or wrote it down? Profound quote of the week Do we get an NA shout out? We did. Someone emailed me. Said we got a Adam's big shout out to Grimerica. Oh wow. Um, hey, uh my buddy's saying that the graph shows deaths eight hundred days out. I don't remember seeing that. Do you, do you remember seeing that? No, I don't look really. Well you said you looked. I looked at the uh, I haven't looked recently other than at the web archive page. Yeah, I don't know what he's. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. He must be talking about something else. He might what? be talking about the. Anyways, we're whatever. not at eight hundred days yet, are we? We're I know, at, I know. It would have started March tenth, twenty twenty. So we're at almost seven hundred and thirty days. Well, so it could be an eight hundred day chart. That wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. I don't know. We're approaching. I, see, I looked at it again. I didn't see what he's talking about. Mind you, that's not true either. We're not even. We're we're at almost seven hundred probably. Yeah. So here's a here's a quote. Guess who this is from? <clears throat> a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those who within the gate freely. His sly whispers rustling through all the alleys heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not to, not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims. And he wears their face and their arguments. He appeals to the baseless that lies deep in the hearts of all men. The baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist 
A murderer is less to fear. Resist me much. Am I supposed to guess? Yeah, who said that? George Washington. No, it's uh, uh, a couple, couple, couple thousand years older than that. A couple thousand years? Marcus Aurelius? Uh, close. Julius Caesar. Cicero. Cicero? Marcus Tilius Cicero. Cicero. Isn't he the one that... Uh... Fuck. He Killed was Caesar? one of them. He might have been one of them. <laughs> I think he was dead, though, maybe by then. I can't remember. I went I through know. all that Rome stuff either. like uh, a while ago. It's all sort of buried already. And I did it through the lens of fiction. But it had real names. Anyway, what else you got? That's it, I think. Let's wrap it up. That's all you got. We'll get out of here. Support the show. Grimerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation. We couldn't do this shit without you guys. We can't do it without you. Um, we don't want Graham to go homeless or hungry. Whole time in it now. GrimericaOutlaw.ca. Check out that other show. Grimerica.ca. I did quit my job trying to give this a go. That's right. GrimericaOutlaw.ca slash support today. One-time donation. Sign up for a monthly. Check out those audio books over at adultbrain.ca. And enjoy the chat with Cal Washington. Cal Washington, welcome to Grimerica Outlaw. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Fellow Canadian talking about the law. This will be interesting. I mean, it's one of those things we've sort of broached it a couple times. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but I think you're the guy to kind of to break this open for us here and, and talk about, um, you know, your court your court uh, experiences, the law, the merchant law, and, and, and your organization in power, which sounds very fascinating. So... Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Yeah, no problem. I guess, you know, you talk about these, uh, what did you call them? I thought it was fascinating. You're the, the, the sovereignty gurus and that kind of thing, right? Like, you know, there's this whole meme about, you know, your title and your name and you're a corporation or whatever. And, and you know, you've, you've tried a lot of these tactics in, in the courts. So we'll get into all those details. But I guess for context... Maybe a little bit about your story. Like I, I watched your video on uh, of the Red Pill Expo too. It was interesting to hear how you kind of started to wake up to a lot of uh, the government's antics and and sort of you know which which opens up this whole world of of things. Right, you must be continually sort of peeling apart the layers. So maybe we can start with a bit of your background and then we can delve into 
you know, uh, some of the examples and questions about the about the law, merchant law, and empower. Well, it started with um, a divorce, and uh, I was just a normal guy, you know, family man, mortgage, working, paying taxes, doing the you know regular thing, and then I ended up in a divorce, and um, I was compelled to go to court. Uh, through, first through the divorce and then over child support. And so uh, that was my first, you know, I'd been on a couple of traffic things or something in my, you know, in my life, but this is the first time where I'm like, you know, immersed in it. And um, I sensed that there was something wrong. Like uh, when you're there a lot, you, you start to, you start to see through the cracks and so I just started asking questions and, you know, one thing led to another and, um, you know, I started to meet some people, um, that had, you know, done things in court and, and tried their things. And, uh, went to a lot of meetings. Um, you know, this, this whole world, like you said, the whole world opened up that I didn't know was there. Um, and, um, you know, th there's groups and, and all that. So I learned a lot. Um, a lot of it was probably not that useful, but I did try just about everything. I mean, I was willing to try anything and, um, I'm just one of those guys. I'll try it. You know, it was my own case. I have to take the lumps. And, um, so I tried all, you know, I tried pretty much everything. And, um, once I learned commerce, that's when the game kind of changed because that was the first time I saw a judge run out of the room. And, um, so I thought, okay, either that's a coincidence or we're onto something. So we just tried it again. And, you know, I got so many different, um, odd behaviors out of judges, um, over, over, you know, quite a few year period on my own cases and helping others. And I didn't see any of that before the judges were always in control, but, um, now they were afraid of me. And so th that was a, it was a marked difference that, um, instead of me being afraid of them, they were more afraid of me. And, uh, you know, it just all kinds of odd behaviors. And so, you know, once I, once I got that happening, um, then it was just, you know, stay on that track, go down that rabbit hole rather than all these other ones and just let all that other stuff um, go. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, how long has this been going on for then? Like how, how long has this journey been? uh well the divorce started 20 years ago oh, okay so it's been a long time then yeah, yeah like my yeah. my oldest daughter was 11 when that um happened and she's about to turn 31 so i'm coming up on 20 years yeah. okay yeah yeah that's kind of what i thought but then i thought i hope i wonder if it's only been a couple of years but i mean I, I went through a breakup uh we didn't go into the courts but we were at that mediation point or whatever i guess and and I didn't really get that same sense that you got because we we avoided that, even though it still cost me like thousands and thousands of dollars to even just to stay out of trouble from a common law relationship with no kids. Um, with no kids. And I lost I mean, the cat. You're the ultimate and I, patsy. <laughs> and I lost the cat. Like I gave her the cat in the mediation thing as like a carrot. I like just like okay, as an act of goodwill. Okay, you can have Sierra the cat. You know that kind of thing. But without kids, they really don't have a lot on you. Like yeah, I'm so, yeah, that's shocking. I mean, it still costs a fortune, but but I had an experience recently, and it kind of I was really thinking about that 
when you were, when I was listening to you talk about your court experiences, because we didn't even get to court in this, but I was involved in sort of a lawsuit type thing. And it was really my, I guess I'm really naive in, in my, my, uh, my perception of the courts and this whole system, because I was really, really disappointed at um, how people can just lie. They can just make these claims and lie. And I'm like, isn't there, I always thought that at least the lawyers were the first step in some kind of like, here, you got to prove, you can't just go and say all this stuff and it'd be lies. And then, and then it can continue on being lies until when the very end, when everybody has to throw their evidence on the table. I mean, it's just, I, I, I always thought, okay, like there had to be some kind of, um, uh, uh, mechanism of, of like, you can't say this to a lawyer because the lawyers are double checking all this stuff. Like, and, but they don't, you can just say whatever the fuck you want. And then, and then, you know, I guess, I guess it, it ends up being that both parties can just keep lying until the, until the final, I don't, I don't even know when, when they have to finally provide proof. I, yeah, that, that's probably what's happening is claims and claims. Yeah. yeah. So it took me a while to figure out the claim is the strongest word in law. And once I saw once I read that, I went, oh, now it all makes sense. They're just doing claims. And because another claim doesn't come forward uh, to supersede it, it, it holds and it doesn't have to be a true claim. Right. This has right. to be a claim. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what's so annoying. I mean, I thought there had to be some kind of you know, <laughs> double check. But... No, it's it's so corrupt in there. And um, I was I was shocked at the level of corruption and, and the dirty tricks they do and um, violence and, you know, all, all that stuff. It's 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 like an organized crime. It's very similar to um, like a mafia or, you know. Uh, one of the motorcycle gang type things. That's what my buddy Tubbs always said. He always said, it's a racket. It's a racket, man. It's all, they're all going out together. They're all going out for dinner together and buying each other Christmas stuff. And yeah, he's, he's like all of them, the lawyers, the judges, they're all in on it. Yeah. I mean, I did a foreclosure for somebody and um, the master and the lawyer who was, he was on almost, they did the they did the foreclosures on a Wednesday, so all the foreclosures were there. So you'd see like twenty cases, and they were on like eighteen of them. And so it was the same uh, second mortgage company and these same lawyers that were taking everybody's homes. And it turned out that the master and one of these lawyers, there was two of them, wrote a book together and were and had a course teaching lawyers how to do foreclosures. So they were in like they were partners. Wow, that's just gross. Yeah. It's and I mean, I mean, I've kind of never really trusted the government too much, but I tell you this during this whole COVID thing, I mean, it's really brought me to this zero level of trust of anything that they're telling us now. So it's interesting <laughs> to talk to you after, you know, a couple of years of this, this grossness through the, you know, our, our health institutions and the government and the courts like D Darren, and I've been talking about these fines and stuff in Calgary and watching the JCCF. Uh, you know, take the, all these provinces to court and they just keep delaying everything. I mean, th yeah. it doesn't do, so we don't get charged. You know, they haven't pursued any fines 
they just throw them away. Yeah. So it's all just a big theater. And then, yeah. and then even the real, like the, when the JCCF takes them to court, they just keep delaying it and they can't provide any data for their case. It's just disgusting. And it just keeps dragging on. Now it'll be like till next summer or whatever, when, mm-hmm. you know, the next, the next thing happens. Oh, it's completely corrupt. I saw stuff, you know, with CRA, CRA was, was the worst. And, um, they would do stuff like pull a fire alarm in the courthouse. Everybody had to go out and they'd go and do their thing. And, what? and yeah, I'm serious, dude. And the guy would walk in while the fire alarm's going smiling at us, like with one of those, you know, Cheshire cheese smiles, like walk in 20 minutes later, walk out fire alarm's still going like, yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. Yeah. So I, I mean, Darren, where do you have anything to say before we move into some more details? No, let's get into the details. I mean, I'm all about not paying taxes and shit. So, <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's keep going on on your court experience there because, you know, you kind of delve down the merchant law route, and which is, I guess, there's other technical names for it, which you you kind of mentioned as commerce. But maybe let's let's explain so people understand. Um, what's, what that sort of, you know, what that, that is. So commerce is, um, is the commercial system. It's ancient. Hang on a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. And, um, once I discovered that everything started to make sense to me, like all the, all the anomalies and all the weirdness that I saw and the reasons why I lost because I, I did the arguments, I read the acts, you know, I stayed up till two and three in the morning and then go to work and just back at it, just trying to, you know, um, self-litigate. And um, so I, I thought, you know, when I first got into it, I thought you had to read acts. And so that's what I did. And um, but I was always losing. And uh, even though I had really good um, arguments, I, I learned through commerce that arguing is you automatically lose. Um, cause there's a, there's this, there's this system, um, where you have to honor things. And so the minute you argue, um, you go into the dishonor position and you lose. And I didn't know that, but it started to make sense. Now I'm like, now I get it. So the light bulbs went off for me and, um, everything, all the weirdness and the, and like, why am I losing? Like, um, it all started to make sense. And, uh, so then we, we, we just started trying that thing. And then the first commercial instrument I put in on a case that was already running, the judge ran out of the room. So what do you mean by, you say you put a commercial uh, instrument on there? Well, we bonded the case. We bonded the case that was already running. I I probably appeared on it, you know, four or five times. Um, Now this is your case. This is my case. Yeah. And then once we learned commerce, I went to a seminar and then, you know, the light bulbs were just going off every 15 minutes. And so we went, did, did the process, wrote, um, I bonded the case, put it in the court. And when they called my case, we were sitting outside the, um, outside the courtroom in the hall, like in the hallway. Cause we had, we were kept getting hassled by the sheriffs for not standing up when the judge came in. So there was some violence and yanking and, you know, so we just thought, okay, we're just going to sit outside until the judge comes in and then you don't have to stand up. Right. And so, um, and you, and you weren't standing up uh, for, as a show of, of like resistance or not sort of agreeing with the whole process. I never, no, I didn't. What we found was that whole standing up 
you ended up bowing when you sat down. And they got this big plaque at the at the behind the judge, and so I'm not sure if it's to bow to the pl- plaque or the judge or both. But that's but it's not about the standing up; it's about everybody that's, bowing later. Wow. Yeah, because when you stand up, if you, I mean, if you just go and stand up and sit down, you'll see that you actually you bend After, forward. Yeah. yeah. Next time, I'm so, going to make sure I don't. Yeah. yeah I well, I never I... did, but I never <laughs> got hassled. Uh, um, never, never once uh, did I get hassled by the sheriffs. I would always, you know fumble around like um you know trying to pretend like i dropped a pencil or something oh yeah oh, i'm just oh i'm just getting my books together and and but they never hassled me but they hassled some of the people that i went with and so we just decided to stay outside until the judge was in the room so they called my case inside the room i wasn't in there so then they page out into the hallway so the, the case gets called inside the clerk calls it and then when nobody comes forward then they page outside so they, I heard my name. So we walked through the door and the judge ran off the bench, like ran, not exaggerating. He was running. And uh, we didn't know what was going on. Uh, everybody's looking at each other like, what's going on? Uh, like he just bolted as if somebody came in with a gun. And, um, and so we're all looking at each other, the sheriffs, everybody's looking around like, what just happened? Uh, including us. We didn't know. And um, so that was that was that. That was the beginning of the change for me that day was, I mean, it was still a long journey, but that's when the tide started going out instead of coming in, you know, and, and there were still waves and everything, but it, it was the beginning of the end um, where, you know, that was the beginning of how I got out of that whole thing. Okay. So how, how does, how do we, uh, how do we describe that as being commerce? Like from your journey from there on, as opposed to just normally being sort of in court fighting for yourself. Well, commerce has to do with commercial instruments, um, including, you know, the fiat dollars that we have or pieces of paper or plastic uh, with uh, their debt notes. Um, so it's dealing with bills of exchange, debt notes, promissory notes, um, uh, other commercial instruments. And this goes way back uh, in time. Like they're finding um, banking type um, instruments in stone. So we think banking is quite modern, but it was, it's not, it, it, it goes way back into antiquity, but I go back uh, as far as sort of the middle ages when, um, when they were really expanding and moving um, more goods using ships, etc. So like this, you know, the, 15 1600s and um that's when all this admiralty stuff happened and so there was you had to have bonds there was there was licensed piracy so you had to have all this paperwork etc to to keep track of of what went missing and who and who died and all that stuff so this it, it goes back to that sort of um that era when they were expanding the money supply in order to expand the economies more worldwide so, would so that these, mar- is that is admiralty law the same as maritime law well yes and no uh, that that's if you do some study on that that kind of fluctuated um where the navy kind of took that on and then the, then the king kind of took oh, it on okay okay yeah 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 so, but there was also this other system on the land 
and that's the law merchant. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, that was, it was tied to the Admiralty because ships came in and they had goods and then there was, you know, transactions on the land. So there was this, you know, focal point. And so these things kind of overlapped and, and had different um, uh, entities running the jurisdiction. But by and large, the land was uh, the pie powder courts, which were very informal courts at the international fairs where people would come from all over the place. And um, so the merchants would um, adjudicate the, any problems themselves. And everything moved very quickly. And it was harsh, like you, your stuff was taken. It was like vigilante kind of thing. But everybody um, liked it because it was... It, yeah. Yeah, because it was it's to protect. If you if you tried to rip somebody off, then you know you had to you you you, it, you know it didn't go well for you. So it was a deterrent, and um, and it also protected the um, the the merchants as they came. And so these laws were not written down because um, it was more similar to the arbitration that is, that is still going on. Those those courts still exist. These international uh, arbitration type courts that are not based in any country it's based on principles and sort of right and wrong and and trying to to come to an equitable um solution so they had those informal courts and then in in the port towns um they had staple courts and those were a little more permanent there was a building um and there was a usually the mayor uh, oversaw that, and so they, they, it was a little bit, mo- little bit more formal, but not formal like the um, like the king's courts. And then, how does common law fit into all that? Because that's separate again, but yet it kind of got combined later on, right? Yeah, in the 1700s, they combined it. They took over the the staple courts because everybody was going there, and so the judges were told. And here's the trick: the judges were told in the common law courts to take judicial notice of the law merchant when a commercial um, issue came in. So commercial issue is anything dealing with business. Yes. And that (laughs) stayed like that. It's not changed like over the last, you know, the last three or 400 years. Oh, right. Okay. This is where, okay. Yeah. So what they did in the thirties is they turned us all into merchants using the birth certificate. Therefore, Every case that comes in, they're taking judicial notice of the law merchant, but they're not saying anything. So I'm a corporation. Okay. That's where the Darren you're, is a corporation. Uh, you're it, uh, the way I describe it, because that's how I was. That's how I was taught. You're a corporation. But the way that, to really understand this simply is you're a merchant. Then everything starts to make sense when you when you read right. like UCC stuff. Um because you'll see merchants mentioned. So think of yourself as a merchant and um, it'll make all the puzzle pieces will fit better. Than and then you get like they, they would, the original, um, they would expedite the merchant cases over the common law. Right. So does that still apply now? Yes. That's how they get away with what's called summary judgment. So in common law, you had to have uh, arduous proof of everything and, and every case took forever but law merchant and and somewhat the admiralty moved very quickly. If there was a dispute, 
at nine o'clock in the morning, it was settled by noon. And like, because like you said, it came from like, you know, people are, are shipping perishables around and stuff. So you can't just delay these things. No, you couldn't de- delay these things. And the tide, it was based on the tides. Oh, right, right. Because if there was a dispute with somebody on a ship, and that ship that. was leaving at high tide. And you may never not see that in that port again. So they, they move very quickly that you got summoned three times. And if you didn't show up, then they just went and took your stuff. So why did they do that in 1930 then to make us all merchants? So that they could use law merchant. So they could against us, but and without us knowing that we could use it against them. Yes. And so your signature, um, like because you guys are in Canada, if you look up, um, in the Financial Administration Act, the definition of money, you'll see that it uh, that it it says negotiable instruments. Then the next definition after money M and is negotiable instruments. And one of the one of the uh, things in the negotiable instruments is a bill of exchange. Then, if you look at a bill of exchange act section thirty, you'll see that a blank piece of paper with a signature on it can be turned into a bill of exchange, which is a negotiable instrument, which is money. So they, they, are, they are monetizing our signatures left, right, and center because we're merchants, and we just don't know it. Oh, that's fascinating. So, so you, so, so you're kind of breaking this open in a way, and they, and they don't want to deal with – they'd rather just walk out of the courtroom – and not go after you again or not bring you back into court then have to sort of try and play this merchant game with us, I guess. Yeah, because part of the merchant game is um, truth in commerce is paramount. And they are always on the lie side. Like you said, they're always lying. So you, 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 you win every time because your, your claim goes higher because it's based on truth. Can you give us an example? Um, let's say if if I was to bond a case, if they had a case of mine and I and they and they sent me a summons, so the summons would say uh, you need to appear uh, at nine o'clock in the morning on such and such a date, unless you have lawful cause to face the charges of blah 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 blah. You've been charged with driving without insurance, whatever. Doesn't even matter. Murder one. <laughs> murder one. Yeah, even murder one, even though that kind of falls in the common law, but they monetize that too. So But you're less likely uh, to get out of murdering somebody. Yeah. Well, you, so but you have an insurance you have a driving without insurance example to tell, right? Well. Yeah, I, that's what that was my I drove without insurance. Um I drove without a license plate for two years. I got pulled over about once a month. Yeah, I've been I've been in the trenches. <laughs> Can I drive without a license plate? Probably not if I have a truck payment, right? You probably have to own that shit out, right? No. That has nothing to do with it. Interesting. I'd rather not get pulled over all the time, though, because when I'm, when I'm smoking weed, I'm going to have trouble. <laughs> well, let's, well let's, let's get back. Let's, um, let's allegedly. Get back allegedly. I yeah. mean, this is yeah. all hypotheticals. This is all yeah, hypotheticals. That's yeah, right. So, um, what was I? What was the I summons. doing? So, so you you so, know you get the summons. Yeah. So I could do a lawful process in order to to create my lawful excuse as to why I'm not coming. So what I would do, like what I did do, is um, 
I see that you claim to be the court. Can you show me where your authority comes from? You have 14 days or 30 days to do so. If you don't, I'm not coming. Okay. Because I have created a lawful excuse. You can't show your authority. And I know they can't do it. Well, the only way they could do it is if they use the Hudson Bay Charter, which they won't. They just don't want to open that can of worms. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do we think their authority is? Like, what is the mainstream perception of their authority? Like, we think we think it either comes from the Queen or from the British North America Act. And, that, okay. and if you ask not like from I the ask, Constitution Act or whatever. That, well, that's not been ratified, but that that is the revived British North America Act with okay. a different name. The same wording, but different name. And what does it really come from? The, it comes like, from the, it, the courts are Hudson Bay Company courts. That's that's the only um, non-native uh, authority that uh, that exists. And that document was um, a perpetual document, perpetual succession, signed by a king. Like it can't be revoked. Can't it? it it's always there. Unless we succeeded from the union, no, uh, it's it's a it's a corporate charter for a, a private monopoly to operate as a government. So, what about uh, you said uh, non-native? What about do I if if I'm an Indian, can I can I finagle the system even more? Yep, because I just happen to be an Indian. <laughs> Well, the and I'm just sort of learning how to finagle. I mean, it's really yeah, well, it's really helped out with some some travel during COVID, and and whenever I get caught out of quarantine, I just like I bring it up, and they just sort of like, okay, you know, we'll call I got you some back. Friends here, I got some friends here, and uh, when they got pulled over by the police, they he, one guy he has a picture of the queen, and then he starts talking Cree, and the, and the cops are like. I'm out of here. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> it, it really is. It, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around, but I'm already understanding it more that I'm talking to you in person than, than, you know, than before researching it all. So, so, so do you pay you, tax? Do I pay tax? Do you pay taxes? Do you have to pay taxes? No, I don't even file. I, yeah, I haven't filed won't. for a couple of years. But well, I we do pay. I am paying because I have uh, I have an income. I have an income, and my boss refuses to stop taking the tax off. Yeah, that's a that's a. But I've stopped filing because I mean I had a situation somewhat similar to yours. I didn't end up in court, but I did have like uh, you know like a, an agreement through mediation, a court order, and stuff like that for 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 split custody of the kids but we didn't go that extra step to end up end up in the courtroom but then you know i was paying all this alimony and stuff which i guess i didn't have a court document that said i had to do that i was just doing it because you know it was the right thing to do and then uh i did my taxes and they're like you owe us all this money and uh i'm like pardon me and I said, you know, so I was like, well, but I had this and that. And, you know, I went back and forth. And ultimately, they say I owe them this money. And actually, they just called me about it. So I was like, well, fuck you guys. And then in, that was for 2019. And in 2020, I didn't file. And 2021 is coming 
to an end. And I was actually today, I was just humming and hot. I'm like, should I just do my taxes and get them caught up? My at least my work income taxes, you know, not the side stuff, but the, at least get the the day job income taxes done. And I'm sort of going back and forth on that now. I mean, the last time they called me about it, I was like, I thought you guys said Revenue Canada would never call me. And Buddy was like, fuck. And he was like, please go on your Revenue Canada account and check your mailbox. And I was like, okay. Because that scam was going around. So they had that commercial going around saying, Revenue Canada will never call you. And then they call me and they're like, yo, it's a couple grand. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. But uh, so he's like, go on your thing. Now, I, I'm sure that they think I owe money. I disagree. But so I haven't filed my taxes in a couple of years now. And that's because you didn't include the alimony in, in the original, like in the original Because it equation? wasn't ordered by a judge. Basically. And that's why you can't claim it? Yes. Fuck. Well, I mean, it is something I want to get into with Cal in a little bit more detail is, is, is how to kind of exit the system further, further exit. Without system. paying taxes, at least. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's that's a big part of it. But, I don't mind I mean, registering you know, the car. Because, <laughs> I mean, I heard Cal say, like, he's like, this is not a, it's not an easy road. I mean, you know, you can't have a mailbox with your address on it. A bank account is difficult. Like, these, these there's these challenges that we sort of take for granted now. Yeah, there's a lot of conveniences with the system, and um, but some of them are benefits um, from oh, the corporation. Right, right. And so you're 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 buying in. Um, they they can make claims based on your actions and what your what you know the benefits you're getting from the corporation. My Therefore, you have to take you have to take the, bear the burden as well. So. Um, so how yeah, long do you ha- how long do you have to go the showing that you don't do that? Like, oh, or I, I know there's probably not a specific time limit. No, there's not. Um, you know what I mean, though, right? Like, yeah, can I, I do, say, I well, I didn't vote last time, or whatever. I mean, or but you should actually try and get your name off the voter list if you're not going to vote because they'll if you're on the list they'll they'll hang on any thread of anything that they that they can get away with like you have to kind of clean it all up not leave a, a shred and um the address is a big one they're always asking your address and um and the reason why is because the stamp goes to general delivery at the post office and the government delivers from the post office to your home as a benefit so what are some other benefits then that, that we would have to take into consideration? Well, you're, any licenses, um, licenses usually uh, by definition is something that would normally be illegal and you're allowed to do it. Um, so well, what, licenses, so well, what about, cause the license comes from the provincial government, not the federal government. So can you, can you play ball in the province and not in the federation? <laughs> You you can on certain things, but they will like if you're in a court, um, the court will is usually a provincial court. You're very seldom in a federal um, situation, um, so they will they will hang on anything provincial to get jurisdiction. So, like if you want to get out of the system, it's you got to be uh, very diligent and and give up some some. Uh, and you got to take the chance that you're going to get pulled over and you have to fight it, uh, you know, to a cer- certain extent, right? Yeah. And if you, if you become like uh, where 
you know, you, you cause them so much heartache and you just don't stop. Then they just leave, they, they just leave me alone. Like they just do. That's why I can go on this show. I don't know how many people are watching and I'm just saying, no, I don't file. Do you have a they plate now? File. Yeah. You have a plate on your car now? No, I don't have a car. Could you have a car? Or would that be sort of what they just keep sort of towing your car or something? You know, they could make your life miserable that way. They could. Um, I decided not to get one while I still have a $300 million um, debt owing. I don't want to uh, rock that situation, end up in some kind of weird contract, like changing the terms of the contract. So um, because I'm dual citizen, I'm, I'll probably move to the United States and then uh, get a car. I was going to ask about a passport. Like, is that one of the benefits that you like? How would you travel if you're out of the system? I have a U.S. passport, so I'm I'm fortunate that way. Um, I've never had a Canadian passport, um, so that's how I was able to travel. I went to England, um, and then into the states. You know. oh, okay, okay, yeah. So that you know, in my journey, I got that U.S. citizenship, and that took a long time. Like, I had to prove my dad lived in in the united in the continental united states for um 15 years and he moved away when he was 19 in the army and moved and was stationed here in bc and so there wasn't a lot of wiggle room to to prove and um, his school burnt down so all those records were gone so it was real uh tough slugging for me to to get all that together and then i finally got my u.s passport and then the divorce started and when i when i left london I walked, as I was walking away from Buckingham Palace, I saw, you know, the. I realized that the reason why I went to England was to go to Buckingham Palace, even though I didn't know that that was going to happen. I just happened to walk by it. And then I saw all these, you know, this 15-year sort of um, everything that had to happen in order to get me there. And the passport was one of them because I wouldn't have been able to fly without that U.S. passport. So it started, you know, twenty two years ago and um and it culminated in well it's still going on but um at that time uh two years ago three years ago i was in london so and i wouldn't have been able like a, i don't know how far you want to get into this but um i did some spiritual uh, battles in front of buckingham palace and i was not that was not my intention when i went to london i was going to look for vintage drums i'm a drummer and i just happened to um, to get to where all the, you know, these old famous music stores are, there was, I walked through a park with my phone as a, uh, with the GPS. And so it, it showed a park. And so I thought, well, I'll just walk through here and then I don't have to, you know, do all these zigzaggy streets. And I ended up walking past Buckingham palace. And when I walked away from there, I went, that's why I came to London. Cause I didn't want to go. And even when I, when I agreed to go to England, I was like, I said, yes. And I went, I don't want to go. In my head, I was like, I don't want to go to England. Like, I, I, I hate flying that far. It's, I'm not afraid of flying. I just, I'm, I'm a big guy and I don't, um, sitting that yeah, long, yeah, my yeah. back tightens up and I just, yeah, yeah. it's not a, it's, you know, I just can't do it. So um, anyway, I went and then I realized that's why I came here. And then I saw all the things that had to be in place. And I was just amazed at, at what was transpiring in my life. And I had no real control over it. It was like this path and I saw it. 
all the way back to my U.S. passport. Wow, that's fascinating. So before we get too deep into that, I want I kind of need to wrap up or wrap around uh, this sort of. I, I mean, I guess I, I kind of want to get a little bit deeper into exiting the system, and then also like <clears throat> how you're like. Do you have any other examples of? of being a merchant in the court system and, and seeing them, um, react. Oh yeah. Um, I did 60 days in uh, remand. And, um, when I got out, I started helping my cellmate, his cases were going on. He was on a, um, marijuana charge. This is before it was legal just before. And, um, um, so I bonded his case. So I went up to the court in New West and I uh, went to the clerk and I said, you know, I want to put this in the file. And she goes, well, you can't do that. We're not accepting that. And I said, well, this is just a copy because the actual bond is at the U.S. Treasury. And um, so this is happening regardless of what you people think or do. But I said that if the judge finds out that I tried to, to warn him or her and you got in the way, you're going to hear about it. And she, oh, so she took off for about 20 minutes, came back. No, we're not taking this. Okay, great. And um, so the next day, it was his, uh, for, you know, his appearance. And it was the first one I'm going to because I just got out, um, you know, a week or so before that. And um, I walk in the courtroom. A guy comes up to me, kind of white hair. Are you here on the, on the, Perry case? I said, you know, I don't want to answer questions. I said, uh, uh, I don't think I have to answer any of your questions. Are you here on the Perry case? Well, well, I'm here to help. Well, you know, that stuff that you brought in here yesterday, that's all bunk, you know, and he stormed off. So how does he know about what? So they obviously took a copy of it and were aware of it, the whole court, the whole courthouse. So I go into the uh, into the case. They bring him in. He's in the glass thing, and um, they're asking him questions. And he's turning around at me, and I'm going, "Yes, no, yes, no." Actually, no. I I, sh- I should back up because there was a there was an appearance that first appearance. This was the second appearance. So the first appearance, I go into the courtroom. That guy that came up to me is sitting. Uh, in the front row, but in the ga- in the gallery, he wasn't uh, up front, and I still don't know who he is. And um, so the judge comes in. It was a woman judge, and and I know for a fact that he's appeared on this, you know, numerous times because you know I was his cellmate, so he would go to court, and so it's probably like five or six times that I know about that he appeared on this. She comes in and goes. Um, it turns out that my husband and and is uh is is partners with your lawyer and i have to recuse myself so she steps down the next judge comes in just livid i mean he is blowing a gasket red in the face as he comes in deal with you guys oh he was mad that he had to even participate in this and um basically adjourns it so my buddy phones me from jail and goes oh that was weird he says, yeah, and my lawyer fired me today. You know, that guy that was sitting in the front? So the guy that came up to me was my cellmate's lawyer, and he stepped down at the same time, and the judge stepped down. So 
This is what I'm saying. I saw all this behavior. So the next time I'm going in there, there's this older judge in there. And that's when he was, you know, he was looking back at me and I was going, yes, no. So the judge goes, you keep um, turning back to that gentleman in the back. Uh, would it be helpful if you if you guys could talk? And the prosecutor, no way, you can't do that. And the judge went, hand up like this. Are you telling me what I can't, can and cannot do in my courtroom? No, Your Honor. Good. Is there a place where these guys can meet? Well, we, they said, uh, well, he can go down into the um, into the cells where the where the lawyers talk to the through the glass um, for incarcerated. Um. So okay, so he goes, okay, stand down, and um, he, he you'll go down to the sheriff's office, and then they'll take you into the room where you can talk to him through the glass. So I go down to the sheriff's office, and uh, no we need your cell phone number and we'll get him to call you out. I said, no, that, that's not what the judge said. Well, that's all you're doing. I said, okay, I'm done. Walk back up to the room, courtroom. Judge comes in. Did these guys get to meet? No, he wouldn't give up. Blah, blah, blah. And the judge like hand up again. Okay. They're going to meet in here. You can't do that. Are you telling me again what I can, can and cannot do in, in, well, he might pass a weapon. So he goes to me, uh, sir, do you mind if the sheriff um, searches you just to make sure you don't pass something? I said, no, that's fine. I don't have any weapons or anything. So he says, okay, uh, everybody out of the courtroom, those guys sit in the back. Sheriff, you need to sit at the front. I don't want you listening to them. And they can have as much time as they want in my courtroom. Why, why, were they, why was he doing that, I wonder? Because I had a bond on it. I saw all kinds of behavior like that. He had two cases running at one in provincial court and one in Supreme court. And the one in, and we kept trying to switch them because one was predicated. This was his second offense. So that means you like posted bails for him type thing. So basically you're, you've got an interest in the case. I have, I have the, the most interest in the case because my bonds were quite large and I had the U S treasury as the collector. So, like, if, uh, like, I couldn't just, like, say me and Graham, Graham gets in some trouble, the judge wouldn't do that if I was, like, didn't post bail for Graham, but I'm just in the courtroom, say, like, giving him hand signals? Yeah, you would not get that. It was the bond that did it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because there's no other explanation for all the, and there's a lot more stories, like, of of this type of thing. In Port Coquitlam, I I would, um, I walked in there one time. Uh, you know, I had, I was late because uh, I was working. And so I showed up around just after lunch and, uh, you know, a guy comes running up to me again. Where were you this morning? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have to be here. Well, we couldn't call the case unless you were here. And I'm like, what? This is the type of stuff I saw. So do you mind going talking to the judge? And I said, yeah, I'll go talk to her. My buddy's in, in cells underneath or wherever it is. And um, so I go into the room. She stands the case that there are, there's a case running. She goes, okay, stop this one. I need to talk to that guy. <laughs> like instantly, boom, we need to stand this down. You come forward. And then she wanted me to cross the bar. And, and I'm like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you from here. Well, we can't hear you. I said, oh, I'll talk louder. I was trying to figure out if they were trying to trick me or not. I just didn't. Anytime they asked me to do something, I ain't doing it. And um, that's just how I roll. <laughs> so I talked louder. And she said, well, you'll be here this afternoon. We want to call the case around two. I said, yeah, I can, I, I, I can make that. 
because you've got it bonded, so they need you to you, you they need you to be there. Yep. Apparently. Did, and then how did that case go? They tried to give him the out. Um he ended up doing um he lost on the on the provincial one because he was under a conditional uh, sentence for selling weed before. So he broke that he broke that contract. So that one was a hard one to get out of. Um and then on the on the Supreme Court case, I think they um like stated or something like something like that. So he ended up doing um he was sent to like a camp. But they gave him the option, like they gave him an out if he would just sign that he was um mentally something or other, they would let they would just let him go. But he didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I said, you know, they're giving you an out. They they gotta have to save face. And uh, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but he didn't want to do that. So he did the uh went to a camp for a couple of months know, or something. Graham's going to the camp soon. What's that? Yeah, Graham's going I'm to the going camp to a soon. different camp. Yeah, the COVID I'm camp. I'm going to the one for the yeah, I'm going to the one for, you know people yeah, that need was, to go there for their own safety. <laughs> yeah, this was like minimum security. You know, they would go and do um they would go and work in the community and that kind of stuff. So that's okay. That's, that's some good examples. And then, so, so just to expand a little bit more on, on uh, exiting the system, like not paying your taxes and all that, right? Like how, how far do you, like, can you just start, stop filing? If you don't file, you don't have to pay. Like it's, it's a voluntary system. It's the filing that gets you in the contract. Now they have laws so-called statutes, you know, the uh, Income Tax Act, that says you have to file. But that's not been given royal assent, and they can't prove it. Um, so, you, you know, you have to do a lawful process in order to get them into that default position. So get them to prove, and what you do is say, I will gladly file and pay taxes if you can prove that I have to. By the royal assent, like where does your authority come? Where's from the again? authority come from? Show me in thirty days. If you don't, then leave me alone. And they will push on you. They pushed on me, and um, it backfired on them. And now they like I'm done. So, so if the tax man calls calls Graham, he should just call you. No, no, no. You don't <laughs> want to be a part of this. <laughs> I don't have the time for that. And, um, but you can learn, like, you're just asking me general questions. Yeah, here, yeah, right? totally, I'm, totally. I'm not telling anybody to not pay taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's totally just out of curiosity. Like, yeah. how, you know, so the whole, the whole thing here in Canada, even though it's a, you know, a leading country, it's, it's, it's a scam. Like, we don't have a constitution. Well, and, don't we have uh, the charter and the Charter of Rights doesn't count at that level? None of it, because you have to have you have to form the country in the first place. So the BNA Act did that in in 1867, but then Victoria, who was on the front of the thing in front of Buckingham Palace, she repealed that act in 1893 by removing the enacting clause and and Section Two. A lot of people go on the Section Two, but it's really removing the the enacting clause, which you know. <laughs> 
I blah blah blah, you know, in front of Lord the spiritual and te- temporal and blah 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 blah. Because of my authority, I enact the following. Well, if you remove those, those words are what gives the, the the act the authority. If you remove those words, then you have just removed that authority. And so Trudeau, the first one, tried to fix that in in the eighties. That's how they came up with this Constitution Act, which is just the BNA Act under a different name, because they couldn't revive the BNA Act because it had been repealed by a Queen. Okay, okay. So we're and then we're but we're still sort of a Commonwealth. We're still under the Queen. That's why. We're not our separate country because we can't be because we're still under that that bitch. We are a we are a colony still with very loose and um, fraudulent agreements with the native people, and there's a corporation running as if it's a country based on the Hudson Bay Charter. Right, right, right. Okay, fuck. So how and do- she happens to own that as well because originally, can I sue the company Rupert, for something? What's that? Can I sue the company for something? Yeah. Right. Now we're talking. Now we're it's talking. A company. It's a company like every other. That's company. exactly what. That's what I'm thinking. So if there's a company and I'm, you know, maybe I can sue them for something. Like uh, I don't know. I come up with a bunch of shit, especially being an Indian. You know, maybe especially uh, during man, especially during mandatory jab season. Especially during mandatory, it's, it's a couple seasons. It's many, well, many be careful seasons. of the mandatory because mandatory is not uh, a strong thing. word. It, it's still voluntary. Everybody oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. took the jab. It's going to be mandatory there, on their own steam and decided to take it. Well, it's some, of them, be some of them were coerced um, with threats, but they still had to choose to do it. True. So, uh, but I could come up with something, you know, I could come up with something. Well, if I was native, I'd be going after the, um, the Indian fund. What's that? I can Google that after. Apparently, um, cause I haven't studied it cause I'm not native. Um, I've, I've studied it a bit, but, uh, apparently there was a, an Indian funds cause there was an agreement of a 60. This, I heard this from, a uh, a native elder, and I haven't verified it, but there was supposed to be a 60-40 split with the corporation and the natives. And they kept it in, the, in what was called the Indian Fund. And then they created this consolidated, consolidated revenue fund, which is just a big slush. So you can't tell what is, is what. But I know they would have to keep track of that, that Indian Fund. So most of the bursaries and um, you know when you want to start a business or all that, most of that comes from that, from that fund. Interesting. So, oh man, there's so there's so much to to talk about. It's so fascinating. So, the where does the King James Bible fit into this? And and like when the does the ultimate authority fit into like the Queen? Like our authority in Canada comes from the Queen still, I guess, with their their authority, and then hers it comes from the King James Bible. It comes from her oath, which is to her defend oath. the King James Bible, and that's why the Bibles are in the courthouse in the courthouses. I can't believe it's still they st- it's still like that. I mean, yeah, I know they took it out of school. Like when I w- went to school, we had Bible readings in school, uh, elementary mostly, um, but um, I can remember that and prayer. We said the Lord's Prayer, and um, we sang "God Save the Queen" when I was little. 
Um, they took all that out, but the the Bible's still in the courts. And is there anything special about the King James version? Well, that's the you know if you if you go with technicalities, the sixteen eleven King James version is the one that she swore on. So technically, that's the only one that she has to uphold. So there's a lot more Bibles out there, but um, we noticed a difference. Because a guy told me about the 1611, you know, I was at this house meeting and there was uh, a bunch of us there just, you know, sharing um, information and stories. And uh, he said, you got to get a 1611 King James Bible. And I'm like, wow, what, like, what difference does it make? You know, I'm using the King James, like, like, whatever. And um, we noticed that they kind of ignored most of the Bible verses. Then I happened to see, uh, actually, I have it right here. I happened to see one one time. And I saw, oh, that's that's that Bible that guy was talking about. So I just went, oh, I'll buy it. And um, I started reading it, and it was different. And I went, oh, okay. So then we started using that when we use Bible verses in our documents, and they started paying attention. We in in your court documents, you mean? Yep. They started paying attention. So we knew, okay, there's something about that particular um, that version version because that's the one the queen swore her oath on yep is that before they changed the alphabet yep so then they changed the alphabet and in the 1700s they changed the alphabet or it must i don't know when it's i think it's more recent because like vancouver is only 150 plus you know ish years old and I see the V's on some of the buildings that, you know, when they're done in stone, uh, where it's supposed to be a U. So it's, it's more recent than what we, what we think, but I can't find where it happened. I was reading a book uh, and the F's in the original book, and this is from 1796, I think, or 1786. And it still had the F's uh, instead of S's. So yeah. I was thinking it had to be at least in the 1800s, I guess. Yeah. And I wondered why, why would, why would they change the, I, I felt like there's a reason why they wanted to discount the previous language or something like that, because it doesn't seem like a, a, a any meaningful change. Otherwise. No, like to, what, what, what difference is that, you know, the, the symbol we know as V being a U and the, and the symbol we know as U being a V, like what's the difference, but I can tell you every verse in this book was affected. Wow, that's interesting. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, because that can't be a coincidence. This was the target. Hmm. And that makes it so that nobody can... So when you quoted those, you were changing the U's back to V's or whatever? Yeah. So in the authorized version, it, it, we have... The, it's more the modern, uh, you know, U... A U is like that, and a V is like that. Um, but in back in the 1600s, it was the opposite. And Fs were Ss in some cases. And J's, I's and J's, J's were yeah. interchanged. But I've, you know, I haven't gone through the whole book, but I have not found a verse yet that was not affected, at least by one letter or something. And that's quite an amazing thing because it's quite a large book. Um, but to find that. Um, every verse was affected by that, by that alphabet change. That tells me that was the target. 
Yeah. They must have had to pick three. Like, they obviously didn't want to change too much because they can't change the meaning they can't of change the words. So, yeah. yeah, they can't change the words. So the words are the same. If you read the, the authorized version and the 1611 version out loud, it's the same words. Spellings are different. Yeah. So let's, I guess that kind of leads us more into like your experience in the Buckingham Palace then. And then how did that, how did you see your path from the U.S. passport all the way through to this? Like talk a bit more about the spiritual battle then. Well, when I came out of uh, court after the 60 days, they owed me $300 million based on a promissory note. And so we, you know, spent months and months um trying to collect that so we tried a couple of different things they ignored everything uh, then we went to a seminar in uh, new york upstate new york and um learned a bunch more commerce and came back and um wrote a document um it took months to do it because you know we had to um study it and and change it from us and you know add to it and uh, make it make it canadian and then i got it stamped at the u.s consulate because i'm a u.s um i'm an american and um it just about blew up the parliament they panicked and we and we didn't know why they panicked so so strongly uh but then months later we found that they had sold that note and then we came in with a claim after the fact, and um, and and the U.S. consulate said, you know, confirmation of an instrument, and put the big rivet through it, and boom, you know, big American eagle, and so they were caught. They owed three hundred million bucks, and um, and they put it in the newspaper, and it was on the you know radio programs, and uh, so they admitted to it. They just didn't pay. So. Long story short, I went after, you know, I kept escalating. Then I went to the feds, the clerk of the Privy Council stepped down, uh, provost marshal, probably he gave a month's notice. Privy Council, clerk of Privy Council stepped down on the day he got his mail. And it was in McLean's and, and um, uh, what's that national newspaper? Um, Post. The Golden uh, Mail, Golden Mail, yeah. So, um, you know, they had that articles, and they were trying to figure out what would make this guy leave like that because he's because he was so power, he was so powerful. Like what, like what scared him so much? And here it is, you know, three dudes sending paper in the mail, and because um, he left on the day that he that he got his default. Provost Marshall left about a month after that, and the Governor General, which was Michelle Jean at the time, she stepped down about a month um, after that. Um, so once I got to that stage, I had them all in default. I uh, was led to go after the Queen, stop going after the money, because that was the, the motivation was three hundred million bucks is three hundred million bucks, and so I did I agreed to that and went after the queen. So I wrote a, a writ of mandamus, which is a, a prerogative writ. And I had all of the defaults of all the people from right from the clerk, you know, clerk of the court, the chief judge, the attorney general in, in, in BC and all the feds, including the prime minister had them all in default. And uh, so I sent her a, a document about that thick 
to Buckingham Palace and said, you got 30 days to pay that money. And I had four other um, grievances in there. So she went into default. So my, what happened was um, it seemed my spiritual authority went way up. And I couldn't quite make the connection. Except one time I was trying to stretch my, uh, just stretch a hip, like um, uh, just doing a stretching. And I, and I was really stuck. And um, I got this thought in my head, use the, the mandamus to get rid of that thing in your hip. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, what does that have to do with my hip? And where would I, where, where, like, I couldn't fathom that I would even have a thought like that. Like, there was no context for it. It was just like a thought. Boom. Use that. And I'm like, well, that's, that's just dumb. So I did it. Boom. Hip moved. And I went, okay, what is going on here? What is going on? And so I had to deal with that because that's outside of my logical thinking. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I had, and I, you know, I've just learned because I've been through so much that, you know, you have to take things, even though you think it's a coincidence, it might not be. And, you know, cause that's, I'm kind of geared, you know, I'm kind of geared that way. I'm like, oh, that's a coincidence. Nah, you know, I don't buy in. And even in my own process, I had to, I, you know, when the judge ran out of the room, I'm like, that had nothing to do with me. Like, I wasn't thinking like that. Or like, we caused that after the fact I went, I think we might've caused that. But at the time I'm going, well, where's he going? What, what, didn't didn't think that way, right? And so I ended up writing that document. She went into default, and then I got invited to speak in um, in England. Um, it was about three years ago, and um, I was on a Zoom call like this, and she said, "You know, we're we're having a a bunch of experts on five G. Um, would you like to come and speak?" And I went. Yeah, that's enough notice. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. And everybody else on the call was like, did he just say yes? Like, because no, everybody knows I, he doesn't want to go to England. And um, so I, I ended up going. And like I said, I ended up with a day off and I went to look for vintage drums and ended up in front of Buckingham Palace. Did and you it, find the drums? So, yeah. And because I had already been through that whole mandamus thing and I had become uh, an adept spiritual warrior, if you want to put it that way. Um, I, I came across, I went, I took the train from Brighton to London and I got off, started walking towards the park. So I'd get over to where the music stores were. And I just saw Royal this or Royal that. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is Buckingham palace. It doesn't look all that impressive. I was not on the side of it. And, um, I got around the front and then I recognized the gates because, you know, I'd seen it on TV and whatever. And I went, oh, yeah, it's Buckingham Palace. So they were changing the guard. So I walked over there and, you know, filmed it and blah, blah, blah. And then got tired of that and, and started on my way uh, back through the park, you know, walking directly away from Buckingham Palace. And there was this monument out in front of Buckingham Palace, right in front of the gates. And, um, you know, it was there's a lot of monuments in uh, in London. Some of them are creepy. This was a creepy one. And I'm like, oh. so I'm walking by it. And I look back to see who was on the front of it, facing away from Buckingham Palace. And it was Victoria. I recognized you know, the face right away. 
and I got the nauseous feeling, which tells me there's, um, for me, it tells me there's, um, uh, spirits. So I started using the mandamus and, um, declaring and shutting it all down. And, uh, it was like a big portal opened up. Like they were all very dormant and quiet. And then all of a sudden it was just like this massive amount of, um, spiritual activity, put it that way. And I was, and I had no fear because I'm, I'm uh, adept. You know, I'm not an expert, but you know, I had no, I had no fear anyway. And, um, so, um, I was shutting it all down. Um, brought in archangels. Um, I know how to do that. And, um, and then I was led to go. I saw on top of this monument, they had this, they had just freshly painted it gold and it was quite a gaudy looking gold. And they had the same paint on the little, um, spikes on Buckingham palace. And then I saw the same gold on a building. There was kind of a monument sticking up over top of the buildings. Um, but I could see it in the distance. So I was led to go over there and it was the parliament buildings. And, um, so I did some declarations over there. Um, there was another building that I was led to, which had no markings on it. It was all black windows, no signs on it. It was about four stories. Uh, it was quite a large building, like width wise and, and length. Um, but there was no markings on it, but something was going on in there. And then my partners texted me, um, asked me how it's going. And I said, Oh, I'm in the seat of evil. And so they started praying and Jenny, my friend, Jenny can see like she's a seer. She said, there's a circular thing that you need to find. And they've been doing um, unspeakable things there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So I'm looking for this thing. They're in the United States and, um, and I'm in London and um, they're doing recon and I'm the, you know, the soldier on the ground. And so I couldn't find something. I, I saw a round pond. I thought that's not it. And then I walked, started walking back towards Buckingham Palace. That's when I noticed that monument was circular. I didn't pay attention before. The Victoria so a, one, or huh? The Victoria one. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I could see it from a long way away because the even the streets go around it and the light posts so that it's concentric circles around this thing. So I went ah I'm right back where I started. So now I got up on the thing. And I'm really shutting it down. And um, and then I left. I took all kinds of pictures. And so I was flying home the next day. And um, um, as we're coming into, I flew out of Gatwick. And as we're coming into Toronto, like, you know, making our approach, all passengers must get off this plane here. All luggage must come off this plane. I went, oh, okay. Whatever I did in London yesterday, they know about it and they know who did it because it's camera there, you know. It's, uh, so it confirmed that what was happening was real. So they emptied a 747. All the luggage had it came off. And then they emptied a second plane that came out of uh, Heathrow. Same thing. Both. 747s, all the luggage comes off. And you don't see that where a large plane like that, all the luggage comes off. And I think that plane landed before ours because no passengers came to get their luggage and theirs came off first. So I think they thought um, I might have had an accomplice that flew on a different plane and then we could swap the, the you know, my phone. Because they, they may have thought that I had some kind of gadget in this thing that, that did something there. 
who knows? But anyway, it was very intense at the um, customs, like at the at the um, carousel. They were frantically pulling luggage off. There was this constant announcement every two or three minutes about you know all luggage, all passengers must clear customs here. And if you you know if you went up and asked any questions, you got the like, don't ask any, you know, like very abrupt. Um, they were definitely looking for something or somebody. And they were intensely looking for it. And um, so I go to the, the um, um, custom automated uh, thing where the camera comes out. It was the first time I saw that. And um, I can't answer the question, how long are you staying in Canada? Because I'm Can flying on it. Still muted. You're muted, yeah. I couldn't answer that question because I, I live in Canada and um, that wasn't an option. So I had to cancel my, my, uh, my declaration and go see an agent. Now the agents know that they're looking for somebody. And so I'm the only one that goes up to an agent. Everybody else cleared this thing. I get a yellow card. Everybody else like on a whole 747 has white cards from the automated thing. And I have a yellow card and he puts the, the marks on it for searching because I've been through that before. And then he goes, uh, good luck. In other words, I wouldn't want to be you. And um, so I had my my declaration and I'm still waiting for the luggage to come off because it was just hundreds of bags. I mean, there was hundreds of bags all over the place. I've never seen anything like it. And frantic, sweating um, airport workers trying to get all the bags off the carousel. And, you know, it's just, it was just a mayhem. And um, so I saw my bag and, um, you know, walked over to it quickly as if I was in a hurry. My flight was supposed to have left um, to, into Vancouver. And um, I get my bag and then I go out to the door where they, you know, we hand the card and then that's where you get searched. I'm the only one with the yellow card. And I hand it to her and she puts it on her chest with all the other hundreds of white cards. I mean, hundreds of them. And um, says, thank you. And I walk by her. We go upstairs. There was about, by the time I got up there, um, there was about eight or 10 of us that were flying to Vancouver. I didn't know them, but we all ended up in the same spot. And um, so we go up to uh we have to we have to check back in because we're on the unsecured side of the airport now, and um, so we get upstairs and upstairs didn't know anything that was going on. They're like, "What are you people doing here? And why do you have your bags?" So upstairs didn't know what was going on downstairs, and they said, "Your flight left like five minutes ago." So she gets on the phone. No, they held your flight. So they quickly put our bags back in the system and they had to cut us in the in the TSA line, and we flew home. Wow. So any repercussions from the spiritual aspect after that? Or how, how do you, uh, I want to talk about the in, in power thing, but also um, the watchers and, and how the watchers fit into this whole thing. Yeah. Like, well, is I that brought- a higher level? Is that a higher level than the, you know, the King James version? Oh Yeah. Yeah, th- these are beings that are. Um, I d- I'm not sure their their full extent is not described because we're not. I think we're not supposed to know. There's certain information we're not allowed to know. 
So a lot of this is by, you know, trial and error and gleaning and, and piecing things together. Apparently the watchers are here um, as some kind of representative, almost like jail guards. Yeah. And um, because I think this is a prison and, um, and we've been, we were introduced here. Adam was put here to settle an old claim going back to claims. Huh? And that's the Luciferian claim that he is God. So they were, they were remanded and we were put here in order to settle that claim. And we're at the final stages of that. And that's why their, 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 um, their moves are so ridiculous and desperate because their time is up and they know it. Wow. So uh, the the watchers are they the same as the like because I I keep thinking the Nephilim or the giants and the watchers are the same thing but they're... well there there was some uh, apparently there were some original watchers if you read the book of Enoch and um, they bred in for whatever reason to the daughters of Adam and that's where the Nephilim came in there was these half like a lot of giants and then half um, animal half man type. Um, beings. So a lot of that that Greek mythology is actually real, and uh, those and those Egyptian gods. And... Yeah, those th- those beings existed, and they're finding them uh, remains just, of them. One of our friends just had experience with some of those gods, like visions and stuff. So it's interesting how you say they're coming back. He had an experience in Egypt a few months back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they never left. Like this is a prison. So they, they're a lot of them are underground, and um, some of them are in different like dimensions, if you want to put it that way. Like we can't um, see them. And then there's the the uh, the inbred ones. And right now, they're uh, most of them are are hard to detect from a uh, from the DNA of Adam because they they've got that that um, genetics down, but. There's parables about the wheat and the tares, and the wheat and the tares are the same, like the plant looks the same until harvest time, and then one turns into wheat and one turns into this ugly plant. So they're trying to block, you know, what's happening cosmically, etc., because we're about to, like, the truth is about to um, be dropped on us all, and um, they can't hide anymore. Why do I have a note here? NOL before the watchers. Notice of liability before the watchers. Is that something that you talked about before? Like, yeah. Well, we we is that what the whole thing we court. Like, is that pretty much what you're doing? Yeah, we, we're putting that. Um, I'm assuming that the watchers or ha- have some kind of um, jurisdiction just above uh, Earth, if you want to put it that way. So it's probably the closest jurisdiction that we need to deal with um you can go all the way to to you know to god um but generally speaking in commerce and in law you want to go in order of yeah yeah. uh you don't just jump uh like i didn't just jump to the queen i went through the the, through the, the stages, ranks. yeah, just like you said, it happened in the in the Bible where it's or I I don't know if it was the Bible or which which uh, gospel it was where you start with your you know you you start with your neighbor one on one, then you bring witnesses, and then you go to the next sort of level, and you're there is a yeah exactly, and those are commercial principles as well from law merchant. Everything was done that way, so you can start to see that there's these this un, you know underlying spiritual 
principles that are uh, infused into 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 commercial activities. It's almost like commerce is a uh, mirror image or a negative, like the old negatives of pictures yeah. of uh, a biblical or spiritual. Um, not necessarily just biblical, but spiritual principles. And maybe that's why they wanted to leave you alone, because then then you don't take it to the next level. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's to the point, like when you said, do, do I have any fear of um, spiritual attack? No, they, they try and stay out of my way. I don't go looking for them either, but um, it's to the point where, um, I don't know how to say this, if there's a uh, a dispute or uh, you know somebody some spirit is making some kind of claim on somebody or something um usually if i show up they instantly shut up and um there's no argument i used to have arguments and they would challenge my authority now it's more like i don't want to say this the wrong way but it's almost like god walks in the room yeah it's has it, uh, it's that kind of a they just like whoop. So when did you start up the empower thing? Well, that um, because of what happened with the three hundred million dollar document and all that stuff. Um, my friend Josh made a movie about smart meters and um, called "Take Back Your Power," and one of the guys that was, you know, working with me on all, all this law stuff, he's also a, a film editor. So um, Josh had all the stuff in the can, but he didn't know how to put it together. So I, I um, introduced him to my friend. And so they put this movie together and then he was showing it and it was, um, it won a bunch of awards and it's very, very well done. And it, it uh, really exposed the whole smart meter, uh, the dangers of it. But what he found was, you know, if he showed it in theaters, people were walking out, in a negative state, like, Oh, we're all going to die. And so he called me up and said, is there, is there something you can do, you know, as a solution? And so I looked at what they were doing and I went, Oh, okay, well, they're just moving commercially. Everything's tacit agreement. And uh, they give uh, notices and uh, offers. I said, yeah, they're all, this is all commercial. So I know exactly what to do. And um, so that's where the, so I took the document that had caused all the, um angst with the government with, with the and i um extracted a bunch of things out of that and um wrote a, a, a separate document which became the notice of liability and then in power is is actually considered a church right wouldn't, wouldn't it's it a church yeah so in power kind of came about um so i wrote the document i sent it to josh and i he had about 20 people that wanted to do something um had a group they were meeting and uh he said can you come down and and talk about this and i said no i'm not a i'm not you know i'm not a public speaker i'm not that you can just have the document and but he convinced me to come down so i went down there and i'd done a couple of uh speaking engagements before but usually i lost people like they they would kind of shut off especially if i started talking nephilim and like i could just barely touch that subject and then they would just instantly um shut down so but this room lit up like and they were like i'd never seen anything like it so um within a month uh somebody in detroit got the document and she flew us out there and we did the same thing there and you know it was a larger group 
And so all of a sudden, and then I did Kelowna, which is um, middle of BC kind of thing. Um, I happened to be working up there at the at one of the wineries and, and they said, yeah, there's a meeting. Can you go and speak? I'm like, oh, you know, after work and living in a motel and all that. So I went and again, the, the room kind of lit up. So um, that's how Empower kind of came about. It wasn't, it was just sort of. Came really through just, just teaching people about the notice of liability. Yeah. And then so, you've got here, like, you know, you, the ability to claim authority over smart meters, vaccinations, and 5G deployments. So, like, for example, could we get a vaccine exemption from Empower? No, it's more of um, a commercial process where you put, you put they're, they're, um, they're offering the, the vaccine and it's an offer. They're, you know, they're, they're pushing it, but it's, it's still an offer. So is that vaccine vaccination category on there from COVID or was that on there before? It was on there before. Actually, we were doing, we were going to come up with the 5G one and we knew from the 5G that they had to have, they had to have the internet of bodies activated in some way in order for 5G to, to, to do what it needs to do. And they had a couple of different options. Like you could get a chip in your hand um, and there was people already doing it. And um, all your banking stuff was, was there. Um, there was a couple of different ways of doing it. And vaccine was one of them. Wow. We did, this yeah. Is before so, COVID. So, yeah. So when COVID came out, I went, there it is. They're going vaccine. And because um, I didn't, I was wondering, how are they going to get everybody vaccinated? Because we, we just don't buy in like that, right? And um, <laughs> so that's what they did. And I saw it coming. So um, I, way ahead of time, as soon as, as soon as that whole COVID thing started. And um, if you understand 5G, um, it can it can change the um air and water molecules so that you can't breathe. So like people falling over like that, um, that's from 5G. And almost all of the, the major um, COVID outbreaks were just where they had just installed 5G. So um, Wuhan was one. Um, there was a, a small town in Italy. That was the next one. Uh, New York. Um, and blah 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 blah. So it was it was definitely following where five G was was installed at that time, and they didn't have enough to really get it to go. But I think what their problem was is that Trump was in office, and they didn't think that they could beat him with an election. So I think they went a year early. Well, they they could always cheat on an election. <laughs> Well, they ended up doing that, but I don't, I think, I think they were literally trying to beat him because that was the rhetoric on the TV. Um, like, how are we going to beat Trump? How are we going to beat Trump? And they were looking for candidates. Um, but in the meantime, I think they, I think they went with uh, the COVID a, a year early because they didn't have enough 5G worldwide up. And so that's why, it, it, you know, they had to fake a lot of stuff, a lot of mannequins. Like, it, it was it was bad. Um, they couldn't get the deaths that they really needed. So how do you, how does the notice of liability come into vaccinations now that COVID's here then? Because you were de- dealing with this prior. So you're saying, like, I want authority over vaccinations. Now that it's going global, 
well, regardless of what it is, commerce works a certain way. So um, you get somebody into a contract. I see your offer to, to vaccinate me. I will gladly get vaccinated if you can prove that it's safe. And I have an affidavit here that says it's not safe. So you have to rebut that affidavit. And you have to swear to it. So this is where the truth in commerce comes in. If you don't and you go silent, then it will be taken as agreement. And then if you force me or any of my, or coerce any, anybody in my, in my um, indirect or direct care, which these are words that are used on purpose to make it, it could be anybody in the world, and you force them, then I'm going to charge you X amount of dollars per day. And, and, some, you got, and you have an affidavit template in there already? Yep. And so it's money that is the, is the problem. The reason why the judges were acting like that is because there's a bond. Their bond didn't cover my bond because I could just write. I'm just using ink and I can write zeros till, I'm, till my hand bleeds. And um, their bonds don't cover it. And so if I was to liquidate the bond, the U.S. Treasury would, would um, go after their bond. And when, and when their bond was uh, extinguished, like, got all that, uh, now we're going after your, your personal assets. And they know how to collect. That's what was spooking the judges. I mean, this is all I had to, you know, learn. Yeah, all piece this. it all together later on. Yeah. yeah. So, so in other words, if I'm silent and they come to the door to jab me, it's kind of my fault, is what you're saying in a way, because I didn't, or I didn't serve them a notice of liability that I have an affidavit and I need them to prove it's it's safe. Well, you could say it that way, but if you um, conditionally accept the, the the keys to this is conditionally accept. So it's uh, based on conditions, just like when you bought a house, um, you had conditions on it. Um, you know, I need to get financing. Uh, or uh, based on an uh, inspection, I guess just a little bit more about the empower and and how you know I you've sort of been answering that how that whole that whole thing works, especially now that COVID's here. I mean, the government, like you say, they're criminals, right? I mean, that this is like this is they're a bunch of criminals, and now we need ways to sort of get around this whole thing. Yeah, well, Canada is unique because it's you know it's a corporation, and you can see it, and so they don't have a lot of legal ground to, to, to do what they're doing. And a lot of the natives do know this, which is why they can shut down pipelines, etc. They know exactly what's going on. And I can read it in some of their rhetoric because they're, they're not spilling the beans, but you know, when they say stuff like it's not going to be business as usual around here and, and, and that type of things from some of the uh, native leaders, I know that they know what's going on. Um, if they mention the Hudson Bay, um company then i know that they they know what i know and um so um that all said you know there's a numerous ways to attack if you want to use that word um what's going on here because they just don't have the authority it's all based on the hudson bay charter and the hudson bay charter um they're allowed to make their own laws and enforce them they were allowed to have courts they were allowed to have um allowed to use the Royal Navy and the Royal Army, and they had um, cannons, uh, artillery, etc. at their forts, and they had jails. 
everything that a country would normally have, this monopoly corporation had got. And um, so, but there's a, a caveat in there. The laws that they that they make cannot be repugnant to the common law of, of, of England. And they all had to swear oaths to make sure that that stayed in. And they're still swearing oaths today to the Queen. Now that that uh, went on for 200 years. It was a long time. And they were quite um, notorious um, uh, bad, you know, just um, corrupt. Um, even Prince Rupert was a um, privateer, like a licensed pirate and a slave trader. So the first governor of so-called Canada was a pirate and a slave trader. How do you think that went? And it's been that it's been that way ever since. So they couldn't get this document back. Um, so after 200 years, um, the United States had bought Alaska, and we're looking at buying out the Hudson Bay um, Company, and they, they had quite a bit of land um, all the way over, almost to where you guys are, and um, all, all around the Hudson Bay, and down into where the United States is now, and. Um, so they were looking to buy, and so Victoria created the Dominion, which is the which is the um, uh, British North America Act in 1867. Part of that was to they had to build a railroad, and that bankrupted the four provinces, and um, so they had them in that in their clutches, formed the Dominion so that the uh, Hudson Bay Company could. Um, uh, surrender the, the 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 charter the deed, which they did the following year. So, 1868, um, they passed the Rupert's Land Act, which was the terms of the surrender of the of the of the um, of the charter. So, the, they formed the, the Dominion in order to get that charter back. Is what what happened. So, it took two years to get it done because they didn't tell anybody. And there was the red river uh, uprising. And, um, you know, some people liked the Hudson Bay company because they were, you know, making money off of it in some way. Uh, they didn't want to things to change. So it, around 1870 is when they passed this document to Victoria, her successors and heirs out. That was the wording. So Victoria got, ownership of this corporation that could run as a government which now i'm assuming elizabeth has which seems to be the timing of the residential schools and didn't that whole thing escalate in the 1850s darren or 1860s i mean uh, it started in 18- yeah so yeah well they had they had like i said i from what i understand and i didn't research there was an agreement with this corporation, a, a 60-40 split. And they just, and the, but they had to be what was called Indians at the time. Which meant you had to speak your language, um, do your dance, and something else. I can't remember what it was, but. Um, that's maybe why they wanted to take the Indian out of everybody. That's why they did it. So they created this status Indian, and then they said, stop speaking your language, and they beat you to, to, to so that they didn't have to pay that money. Jesus. That's what it's It's always about money. And that's, what I, that's what, why I'm saying, like, 
when you go into commerce and, and it becomes about money, that's when they pay attention. Yeah. Fascinating. Darren, do you got any questions? Last minute questions or no, this has been fun. I'm looking forward to egging Graham into pushing his luck. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it's been good. Uh, Cal, um, anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? Um, I think it's been a lot for people to uh, try and a lot digest. To, a lot to digest. Yeah. yeah. The, the Hudson Bay charter is that is the most important document to really understand the, um, Trudeau tried to fix that in the 80s, 82, by um, resurrecting the BNA Act that was repealed and giving a new name. And they've been backdating that name all the way back to 1867. So eventually, as you know, new generations come up, they won't talk about the British North America Act at all. It'll just be as if it was always here. <laughs> but the Queen... They couldn't, they couldn't come up with uh, any way to give this thing any authority because the British North America Act creates Parliament and the legislatures. So without that document, there is no Parliament. There was no Parliament after 1893. So they couldn't pass it. Hmm. So they got the Queen to come over. Renny Levesque said no effing way and um, didn't want anything to do with the Queen. And... Um, so they 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 agreed that they had this uh, what was called the kitchen accord, and it was in the middle of the night in some uh, somebody some kitchen, and Renny Levesque had gone to bed and he said you know wake me up if if you know if something is happening and they didn't because he was like the stick in the mud and so they got seven premiers to go along with this thing, and um, they went they went ahead. So the queen came over; she was the only one that could give it any authority. But in her proclamation, she had, again, a subject. So she said, um, to all my loving subjects, which if you just thought about that for a second, we're supposed to be a country. Why, do we, why are we subjects of the queen? Um, I'm sure she wasn't just talking about, you know, English people that were living here at the time. And all those who these presents may... Um, may affect or something along those lines. And um, when she says it, you know, it's, it's all wonderful. They want to have this, this um, constitution act and the charter and the, and the bill of rights and blah, 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 blah. And then in the, in the statement that gives it the authority, she said, this will all come into effect, comma, subject to 60, 59 thereof, comma, on such on this date, April, whatever it was, 1982. It's that subject that was not, has to be removed in order for this to happen. Just like when you buy a house. Once the subjects are removed, then you can, then the transaction can happen. So this, that subject was a, um, a language issue regarding Quebec, where parents can have their children um, taught in, in the language of their choice. And Quebec refused to sign off on that. And until they do, that all is in limbo. But that, but that was still the same year that Trudeau tried to reinstate the BNA Act? But it, like I said, it was all, it's all good, except that subject has to be removed. Yeah. 
in order for it to, for the for the authority it will she said it will come into force and effect subject to 59 thereof of the of the charter um and 59 says sends you to 23a or something like that and that's where the language thing is and then when you go back to sec- section 59 it says once that is satisfied and quebec signs off on a language issue then 59 has to be removed from the act, the act renumbered, and there has to be another proclamation. Wow, that's interesting. So none of that has happened. And they tried twice with Meech Lake Accord and Charlottetown Accord. Both failed, and we sit in this limbo. Wow, okay, that's interesting. And and then Trudeau getting his appealed. Well, how how did that have to do with this? Appeal. Yeah, you said that when Trudeau in '82 tried to get the act in, it got appealed. It didn't get appealed. It um, it, it went through, except the proclamation. Okay, okay, has that's to have that okay, subject removed. Okay, that's what you're yeah. So it's all it's all good. Yeah. Except, that subject. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, Quebec has to sign off on a language issue, and the Queen knows they're, they're never going to do that. So she gets to hold the Hudson Bay Charter, and, and this kind of brings back the whole the whole that comes full circle around to like this whole thing's a big farce because of that, right? Yeah, and she. So the only thing that you can default back to is the Hudson Bay Charter, which is a perpetual document, right? And she's the holder. That's of what it. they're trying to avoid when you go in there as commerce and trying to. If you reference that, if you bond something in reference to the to that, then they don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to touch that with a. They know they're not really even in. They're not even. They're just. They're just practicing all this law on a lie, basically. Yeah, they're allowed to do this um, from that charter, but that charter, like I said, they can't pass any laws that are repugnant to the common law, and they've got a lot of those. Yeah. And that's why they're not getting royal assent because the, the the royals, like the lieutenant governors and the governor general, can't sign that stuff. So they go unsigned, and that's the reason why is because they're repugnant to the common law. So everything's kind of on the up and up. It's just you don't understand what it is that's happening, and um, once you once you kind of get that whole Hudson Bay charter and read it a couple of times. You you can start to see how this is working and you'll see that that document looks very much like what we're living in today. Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around. Thanks for being patient with us and our like learning this whole thing as we go along here. Um, You know? Yeah. Yeah. It took a lot of years. You know, uh, I took a lot of, took a lot of lumps and um you know i had others you know we all learn together and um piece things together and tried things and um it's that trial and error thing that really you know when you get somebody off of a criminal charge um especially like a assaulting a peace officer they don't let those go and i've seen that so yeah interesting yeah. Well, we'll put a link uh, to Empower in, in the show notes. And is there any any other contact information that we can give to people? Uh, no, the EmpowerMovement.com. And um, it's uh, we're working on this on the because um, it's going to be an automated sort of um, document. 
so that we can have a database to keep track of everything. And we want to be able to keep track of all of the wealth that is uh, generated by these instruments. Um, decentralized, because everybody holds their own documents, so nobody, ha nobody ha not even me, has control of it. And um, But we will record uh, together worldwide. And we're going to just build the system based on their offers in commerce, vaccinations, 5G, um, spraying in the air, and smart meters, which are all weapon all weapons so they can't prove they're safe because they're they're not they're weapons so you're going to go after them with the notice of liability and and yeah and and build them build them for it and like i said put it this way somebody's paying for all of these vaccinations that are free for everybody somebody's uh foot, foot in the bill for all this infrastructure that's going up for 5g Somebody's paying for all that stuff they're spraying in the air. You get the word pay, 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 money, money, money. They cannot do this without money. Do we have 5G in, in uh, like Calgary? Yeah. Yeah. Calgary is yeah, a big one. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. And Vancouver too? Um, uh, yeah, no? they've been rolling it out here. They, uh, they wanted to use UBC as one of the main hubs, but I think they've, you know, over this COVID thing, they've, I mean, they were running up and down my lane. So, because we used to have the five G on the phone, but it was never really connected. And I think now it's finally connected, right? I think they're going to turn. This, you know, what I'm hearing uh, is they're going to turn the five G on in the next couple of weeks in the United States, at least. Um, and I think they, it's and in the West. I think they have it in the West. My phone connects to five G now. I was just say five yeah. G on it. Yeah. Yeah. Right but on. Been, yeah. Right on. We're going to get cooked. Well, I had COVID, so I'm ready for the new, the new 5G world with our new techno overlords. And uh, I hope they have a position for me in the upper ranks of the slave class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think they want to reduce the population by a drastic amount. Um, and then you know some kind of slave class but they're kind of psychopathic and um they're clever in a certain way but they're they're kind of dumb in other ways they're overplaying their hand you think right now? yeah they're it's their arrogance um is their biggest downfall and um you know all the stuff that's going on with this covid it's just you know to me it's ridiculous you know i see through it right away but you know the people are buying in are they depopulating through the jab or some other way, do you think? The jab, the 5G, that's why I said they had to have, they had to have, uh, they were spraying in the air, but that wasn't efficient enough to get enough particles in your body. And so we knew they were going to have to do uh, something way more uh, direct. And um, intrusive. Would, yeah, we'll go with chips. Because, you know, the whole chip idea, they could sell that because, you know, then you don't have to carry ID and your, and your stuff doesn't get stolen. It's in your hand and blah, blah, blah. So we thought they, they might go that way. But then when COVID came, I went, oh, they're going vaccination. And um, so they got to get those particles um, for the Internet of bodies in order for 5G to work. That's the weapon. And so it's, it's all they're all connected. Okay. It's all one thing, just different aspects of it. Okay. 
But so once 5G is up, if you've got particles in your body, it will activate those. Okay. And then they'll be able to control you? Yeah. Son Among other thing. things, or kill you, or whatever, whatever it is. Make somebody kill Graham, maybe. Hopefully not. We need him around for a few more years at least. Hopefully another 50. Right on, Cal. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, taking some time out of your... I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore now that I'm in uh, holiday mode here. I think it's Wednesday, probably. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do this down the road, and you can give us an update on how things are going. Awesome. Thanks, Good buddy. You guys. Yeah, okay, nice Cal. You too. Thanks, buddy. We'll link to everything in the show notes. And that was a chat with Cal. What would you think, buddy? Oh, man, trying to wrap my head around it all. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I was hoping maybe go into the sort of into a little bit more of the spiritual warfare part of the Watchers. When I was listening to him talk about all this law stuff, and then he goes into the the Watchers and the and the Book of Enoch, I'm like, whoa, whoa, where are you going here? What's going on? Fun stuff. That's oh, the only way it's fascinating, yeah. All over the place. Big thanks to Cal for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Of course, even bigger thanks if you're one of the 1% that choose to support the work over at gramerica.ca slash support, signing up for a monthly, making a one-time donation. Uh, this would be show about 530 or something like that. Uh, of course, sometimes it gives off the illusion of being a free podcast, but of course it is a value for value podcast in which we put out all this content to you guys for free. You decide if their time and effort is worth something to you and, uh, decide and, and support accordingly over at grandamerica.ca slash support. Uh, you can spam gram, grandamerica.com. Buy the audiobooks over at adultbrain.ca. There's 30 of them or so up for sale now. There'll be a few more coming out in January. Buy Darren's book. Buy my book, a canadianshame.ca. Buy all that stuff. Sign up for the chats, grandamerica.ca slash chats. Get yourself on a contact at the cabin trip. All that I fun got, stuff. I got an idea. Can we put the Hudson's Bay Charter out in audio? We'd have to make an ebook out of it first. Why don't you check it out and see if it's any good? I mean, it's probably pretty dry, but it's they probably might not like super, it. I mean, it might cause a bit super, of a stir. If super they, you know, dry. <laughs> I know, but it might be good to be out there, you know? More, uh, more of a stir than the international Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for the other one, but it's not available. Of course not. What was the other one again? I had I had it uh, here. We love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Started writing down a list of things to do. Number one on the list of things to do was to write a list of things to do. Number two on the list, a little more nihilist, wrote down, the cake is a lie, there is no spoon. Johnny flipped out, they put him in a rubber room. Hide all your money under your mattress, you call your enemy a fascist. Somebody call an ambulance, the sky is falling. Hide all your money under your mattress, you call your enemy a fascist. Somebody call an ambulance, the sky is falling. Started to carve my initials into a 150 foot tree. Forgot who I was, where I was, cut my hand and it began to bleed. Was only looking to leave my mark in the bark in the park, now I'm in agony. I have no name. 
My legacy is written in the sparks in your brain. Hide all your money under your mattress. You call your enemy a fascist. Somebody call an ambulance. The sky is falling. Hide all your money under your mattress. You call your enemy a fascist. Somebody call an ambulance. The sky is falling. Johnny crumpled up, threw away his list of things to do. Instead he got to jotting down his life blood legacy manifesto, manifesto. Live by principles of peace, mix it with charity. Don't leave the next generation a world of scarcity. Johnny wasn't a commie, he was my fellow man. Johnny wasn't a commie, he was my fellow man. Johnny wasn't a Nazi, he was a firebrand. Johnny wasn't a Nazi, he was a firebrand. Somebody call an ambulance, the sky is falling. Hide all your money under your mattress. You call your enemy a fascist. Somebody call an ambulance.